0: So that's the way it is. So ladies and gentlemen, let's try this again now that you can hear me. Obviously, as you can see, we had some some brief technical issues, which did not happen and will most definitely not be in the final cut of the video because I'm going to start recording right now. Actually, I'm not. That's causing my bandwidth to just murder itself. So I'll figure something else out. Anyways, this is the Procedurally Opinionated Podcast. Again, my apologies for the technical difficulties we've faced so far, but we are here, finally. And joining me, as always, is I am Patty Jack. Patty Jack, how are you doing today?
1: I mean, I'm boxing up my entire house right now, but all in all, you know, could be worse. Could be better. Probably going to feel it tomorrow. I'm going to move, like, furniture and things, so that's going to be fun
0: well see it's your fault for moving so far away if you were just staying down in the general area where you were i could have helped you like see i already moved
1: once, you. now i have to move again so your point's invalid and there's work out here well that's that's the big difference
0: <laughs> well see that's that's uh that's that's your own fault for
1: still so mean too. also i don't get snowed in in the winter There's still like food available, so that's good.
0: There is that. Um, Mm -hmm. You uh, you live in Canada, so there's Mm -hmm. no such thing as summer up there. I hear it's the Great White North is called it that way for a reason.
1: I mean, it was 33 Celsius here today, so that's decently hot. It's enough to get a tan.
0: I'm American. I don't know what that means. Yeah, what is that American? Because I, what's that American? Is that hot? Is that cold? I don't know. Uh let's see got. that's that's that. 33 C so that's what high 70s Fahrenheit Sure let's go with that you weirdos mm. Yes thank you very much no And no we problem. actually uh, uh have two guests joining us today the first is Dandruff who is a fellow YouTuber Dandruff how are you doing thanks for I'm joining doing us.
2: great it's hot today Yes and
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's it <certainly> is. hot huh <sighs> I was actually enjoying the coolness for the past few days, but I definitely decided to crank back up into the high thermal range to try and melt everyone away. Uh, Yeah, I notice you you have this giant wall of games behind you. I'm a little oh, jealous.
2: Oh, do I? Oh, well, uh, it's my hook. That's what I always tell people. It's with draws you in, and then you stay for me. <laughs>
0: All right. And of course, also joining us is a representative from Compulsion Games. This is, whoa, that's me bringing something up that should not be on that monitor. This is Sam Abbott, who is joining us from Compulsion Games. They are the designers of We Happy Few. Uh, Some of you might remember that I did a video about We Happy Few not too long ago, and Sam reached out to me and was kind enough to want to discuss with us some of the particulars of the industry so sam thanks for joining us i really do appreciate it
3: and hey, how is your pleasure. weekend treating you so far it's really good i've had my first day off in weeks so it's excellent. uh it's great it's great
0: excellent I it's been so long since i've had a day off i can't even remember what that's like anymore
3: but yeah i uh i, I know what you mean
0: so we are all here, and this is, you know, kind of a looser format podcast. We're a little rusty because this is, uh, this, this hasn't been a thing for quite a while. So it'll probably take us a little bit to get back into the groove of things. So bear with me if I'm a little awkward. I do apologize. It does take a little getting used to. But game- I based my
1: entire channel around being awkward same here no
2: (laughs)
0: that that was that
1: was my slogan when i was starting out i was the socially awkward gamer and then i got rid of that because i was super cringy and terrible so you know recognize my shortcomings but i can bring it back if you want no okay i'm
0: not sure that would be a good (laughs) idea no all right, well, good to know that I'm not too horrible off. I see we have Melo online in the chat as well. Hey, Melo, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. That's uh, a good guy. We've also got who?
1: Hmm? Oh, it's you so said Melo's a good, good guy. guy.
0: I thought you yeah. said we've also got, like, we've also got what? Yeah. <laughs> No. no, hopefully good things. Hopefully good you have things. You Road85 in the chat, right? We do. Road85, thanks for coming. I do appreciate it. Road85 is another smaller YouTuber. Actually, did uh, we all did a video about uh, shenanigans that he's had to deal with not too long ago. So that's that's interesting. I actually uh, have some updates on that that I'll probably be talking with, not on camera, but I'll probably be talking with you guys about it behind the scenes. because um, I'm not quite sure how to handle that yet. Uh, but anyways, let's uh, let's let's uh get started with what everyone's been playing this week. Patty Jack, have you been playing anything new? Anything interesting?
1: As far as new things go, like in the last week or so, not really. I've been working full time, but the week before that, because we didn't have a podcast for two months, so I feel like this is still new information. Anyways, it's, that's it works. Cool. It works. Yeah. Okay. So I picked up Lawbreakers. That was something I was kind of iffy on getting. I played it for like two hours or just under two hours. Then I returned it because I found out I don't like lawbreakers.
0: <laughs> now, I've actually heard that a lot of people have been dealing with dealing with that with lawbreakers. It, uh, what what, what I, about it don't you like?
1: I, I know people would assume like, oh, you don't know how to do the movement system. You know, zero gravity. You shoot behind yourself, all that stuff to get momentum mm-hmm. and everything. That part's fine. That part's fun. I think the biggest problem that didn't draw me into it was the game modes themselves, a lot of them, because some of them didn't involve really using the zero gravity space a whole lot. Like the ones where you had to go and kind of like do not capture the flag, but it's like, Oh, get this item, bring it back to your base, then defend it. Your bases aren't zero gravity. So it kind of takes away the one really cool feature in the game. And I found that a lot of it was like, okay, you're just, you're shooting at guys coming into your base and you're just kind of standing around waiting for them to do it so i found that kind of boring it it reminded me of like unreal tournament and everything and i think that's totally great and it's got merit to it but i decided that my money was probably better spent getting like the xcom 2 expansion instead mm-hmm. it was just i i feel like that's a it's kind of the quintessential like seven out of ten game and granted i only i played it for less than two hours so what do i know about it right that's the feeling i got from
0: it after an hour or so i hate numbers you know i hate the numbers oh
1: (laughs) yeah numbers can be useful sometimes but it's got cool ideas and i think it's kind of sad that it's not doing extremely well but i don't think the marketing for it and everything helped because it was around for so long and everyone got so accustomed to it they forgot when it released if that makes sense
0: well, that happens a lot with... Because uh, that game was in uh, early access for a while, wasn't it?
1: I don't think it was. was they had it a, a bunch no, of betas it
0: was a beta stuff. Oh, Yeah, yeah the beta they had a ton game. of betas. It felt um, like early access because... The betas. <laughs> um, no, that's... Uh, see, I think, uh, Sam, you'd probably be able to talk about uh, marketing and how an elongated marketing <laughs> scheme could potentially hurt the visibility of your game, couldn't
3: it? Yeah, potentially i think so i was talking so game developer moment but i was talking to cliff the other week about this um so he's the guy that designed um lawbreakers so lawbreakers is his baby and he was actually saying he wasn't actually really sure whether he'd do the public beta thing again um which is really interesting um i think because when you're making a game and you you've sort of got something like a multiplayer game these days it's very hard just to release a game and have it like not super highly tested. Um, if you have something like Overwatch, it had like tons of internal testing and closed betas and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um most multiplayer games that are not from someone like Blizzard go the early access route these days. Um so you've got pub pub battlegrounds, or sorry, player unknown battlegrounds right now. Um uh and you know a lot of early access games work very, very well for multiplayer, but if they don't kick off, they die. So it's it's really it's really tough. I've seen a lot of games like where that happens and it's really, really sad for everybody involved.
1: I was on that topic, I was recently looking at the game Days of War as well. I've covered that one in the past, in the last couple of months, and I went back there and they've got that game's still in early access and it's like an online only FPS they're playing to put bots in right now. But for the last couple of months, it's had about eight people playing it per day. And oh, it's true. yeah, and It's combinations of the developers kind of doing things that the community didn't like. They removed the ADS mechanics from the game, which is what they stated was to make it more like a classic, um, I think, Dave Defeat feel to it, which is totally fine. But they haven't really been communicating that properly, I don't think. And it's just kind of like driven the player base away. Then you get something like Dave Infamy that comes out and it just kind of like takes even more of the player base away. And they got to do something because you can't even play the game right now. And it's kind of sad to see. And I'm worried that maybe like lawbreakers will go that way, too.
0: Well, it's entirely possible. You know, it's that's one of those things where you get the the phenomenon like circling the drain is like the more players you lose, the, the more you're going to lose when you're dealing with a multiplayer only environment like that. So it's it's just it starts this death spiral that's so hard it, most cases it's impossible to recover from in that instance. And that's actually kind of sad to see because at first, you know, that sounded it sounded like a really promising game and people were really enjoying it and I'm I'm surprised to see it die off so quickly.
1: I think it was really just Day of Defeat coming out that, I mean, Dave of Infamy, sorry, coming out that really hurt it and kind of put the nail in the coffin for now, at least. And I don't know, maybe Sam can elaborate on this more, but like, when you release a game from early access, as opposed to just releasing a game, I feel like it probably has like a lesser impact than it would if you just like um, had an ent- like a hype machine going for the game and then just released it outright. Like, do you kind of agree with that at all? Or do you have any, any thoughts to share?
3: sometimes yeah sometimes no i mean the the problem with all of this is that it's most of it's an art it's not a science you know you can some games work really 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 spectacularly well with you know different types of things so um overwatch obviously is the big example of something with an open beta that worked really really well was it an open beta or was it a closed beta it's closed, beta. Um, it's closed beta. yeah so that worked really really well beta. um allowed it yeah. to be tested and- blizzard polish and that sort of thing that's really awesome um player unknown battlegrounds has done very very well on early access probably would have done very very well on full release as well i don't know uh, arc had did extremely well uh, and then everybody decided they hated it which was fair enough um but it did very very well in early access but uh, you know it's it, it's really hard to say because it, it it's always different every game it's never nothing ever releases the same way
0: uh, any... It's not complete bullshit. <laughs> any other games you've been playing that would caught your eye the past few weeks, or? Um,
1: I mean, I've been playing a bit of Overwatch like I normally do. Um, a little bit of Elder Scrolls Online.
0: I haven't actually checked out Overwatch since they just they just made some changes to Mercy, I believe.
1: Yeah, they announced them. Um, I'm sure everyone knows about it, so I'm not going to go into super detail about it. Because you know people are probably sick of hearing people talk about Overwatch at this point, and that's totally fair. Basically, they made Mercy's Resurrects only like an activated ability instead of her ultimate, and now her ult- new ultimate is Valkyrie, and she basically becomes a Beyblade of Death right now. So they're probably going to nerf that a little bit. But I've seen some incredible gifts on the subreddit and stuff, so that's interesting it's yeah Yeah, there's gonna be (laughs) further changes coming to her definitely i guess i'll mean mercy for a few weeks and (laughs) she can team white people it's kind of stupid
2: i saw the one of anna giving her it was a cartoon of anna giving her her special and then just mercy just runs in and slaughters everything going on team kill
1: yeah there's glitches in it too like if anna sleeps mercy while she's in valkyrie mode she can still fly around and stuff it's
2: Ah, (laughs) (laughs) it's (laughs) kind of
0: terrifying yeah well, all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check, check that out. Uh, Dandruff, what about you? Any Playing any games recently that had been, caught your eye? Or
2: uh, I've basically been playing PUBG for the last two weeks straight, but before that, I played a little indie game called Kingdoms and Castles, my which I had my eye on for quite some time. <laughs> what? It's fun. I like it.
0: Uh, uh, I'd rather talk uh, about it's...
2: Kingdoms and Castles because everybody knows PUBG at this point.
0: Okay, Kingdoms and Castles. What 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 is this thing? I haven't even heard of this actually. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm interested.
2: It's a town building simulation, you know, um town builder survival kind of thing. It's banished but with combat. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. uh it's rough. It's really really rough. I I really want to like it. I've I've known about it since February or so, and I I played it um I do enjoy it, but I encounter a bug that completely breaks the game, and so it, I just kind of stopped having fun with it. I'm not sure if they've updated it since then either,
1: since its launch. So is it in early access? or No,
2: and that's the thing, is I thought it it absolutely feels like an early access game, and it's not, and that's the scary part. It's only $10, but $10 doesn't mean that you're allowed to have a game-breaking bug in your thing.
0: No. Yeah, that I should mean... probably be addressed. I mean, to, to my mind, you know, if you release a feature complete product, it should be, you know, feature complete. That, that should be a thing. <laughs> or you should fix it. Cough. XCOM 2, cough.
1: Yeah.
2: And if you've ever played a builder like um, Stonehearth uh, or like um, Rimworld or something, there's different jobs for different people, and each of the facilities uh, handles these jobs. Well, I'm only able to give one person in that per thing and it just kind of glitches out even if it requires multiple people and it just kind of strangles your city and saving and loading doesn't fix it nothing fixes it you just have to start over but other than that it's a great little indie game if you like town building you like management
1: you look so sad when you were saying that. It's like <laughs> I wanted to Okay,
2: I wanted to like it so much. I've had my eye on this game for a long time and I was like, I'm going to play this and we're going to build towns and fight dragons and ogres and oh, I can't do anything cuz it bugs out. Oh, I'm going to go play PUBG.
0: Dragons and ogres and bugbears, oh my.
2: Better than that. I've really been playing PUBG for the last two weeks straight and i'm loving it i love the first person mode see i
0: can't i just can't bring myself to because of the entire gambler economy that sprung up around it it's just uh i i don't support that i mean but on a moral basis i can't support that game at all because that's all it to me that's all it is that's all it all it's about is the the gambling economy i actually uh I did a video. I actually, I've I've been doing a lot of investigative research actually the past couple of weeks into a lot of these gambling sites, and it's just gross.
2: I mean, there it's is gross. a game there. It is. I mean, there's a I don't, game there. I don't yeah. like the but, gambling aspect of it, but um, that's Valve for you. It's not necessarily the game's fault. I would <laughs> I would point the point the I would point the finger at Valve.
0: Well, they they designed this game with their this intent being the intended business model. So you can't necessarily say that you can't blame the game because they are the ones who decided they wanted to implement this.
2: Using the OpenID system. Still.
0: They still willingly decided to implement a business model that catered to a gambler culture that, is, that focuses specifically it's, towards underage people. I, I think it's both, really...
3: Can I can I to interrupt but can I ask for a quick summary? Because I don't I don't really know what you guys are talking about. So Player Unknown
0: Battlegrounds, it all it all actually started well, I first caught wind of it uh back I guess beginning of this month or late July when they were announcing the loot uh I guess players of the game had known about it for a while. Um, but they were announcing that they were gonna be doing loot crates for Gamescom. And they were gonna have a couple of different crates. Uh, and one of the crates was going to be unlockable right, with a yes. key that you purchased, and that, and the per the 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 cost of that key was going to go towards the tournament at Gamescom, and uh, whatever the else they gathered that they didn't need, they were going to donate to charity, which there was nothing wrong with that, and that actually got a lot of people up in the arm up in arms saying, "Oh, they broke their promise and everything," which you know wasn't the case because they. You know, they weren't, they didn't promise we won't come out with this thing by this this specific date or anything like that. You know, it's usual, you know, torches and pitchforks for not a very good reason. But I started taking a look at this and found out that this was actually going to be their business model, which is a almost exact duplication of the business model behind CSGO to where you have loot crates okay. that you can garner through in-game currency or you can purchase with money that can be unlocked with keys that you purchase for real-world money. And this comes with a randomized loot system of various cosmetic-only items that are worth varying in real-world currency. And because of this random nature and everything and Valve's APIs, we have a whole slew of gambling sites springing up as soon as this game launched its its loot crate system.
3: Okay, so it's very similar to... Pretty much all of the other, I don't actually have a name for it right now. Freemium seems like, ah, oh, sorry, premium seems like the wrong, wrong approach. But that sort of, you know, Dota two, Paladins, pretty much everybody does this with the cosmetics these days, right?
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. them do. Any of the, okay. uh, any of them with, ran, um, with a random chance loot crate system or loot system, cool. typically has some form yep. of, some form of gambling culture or gambling economy sprung up around it. Uh, the only way Blizzard has actually been able to avoid this is because they it, – well, it's a bit more complicated, but it doesn't really provide anything. They don't allow direct APIs in or anything like that. Same so, with Psyonix okay, so, and Rocket League.
3: Yeah. So it's internal to the game only. It's not – um Right. It's not like you can sell stuff on the marketplace afterwards. Okay. Right,
0: but with Valve's market and everything that with this game, it's it's just created a feeding frenzy right now, and it's been uh, very abhorrent to someone like me. As I, maybe I'm a little gun shy after seeing the whole thing with the CS:GO and the CS:GO Lotto scandal and all that with uh, T. Martin and Pro Syndicate and and all of them. And uh, the sheer number of 13-year-olds and 13 to 17 that they were targeting and lying to their own viewer base. You know, so obviously I'm going to be automatically just hands-off with anything like that. But, you know, I just, I don't like the business model in general. I think it's, to me, I it feels extremely dishonest.
2: Well, it is. But... um I don't know. I know you're not really saying you have an aversion to the people who are playing the game, but it's still,
0: it's still a fun game. To me, see, to me, it's not even that fun of a game. To be honest, it feels to me more like oh, the, that's Twitch, just... the Twitch flavor of the week. A bunch of Twitch gamers have streamed it, and you know, you get a bunch of uh, pro FPS gamers that can make you know paint drying look interesting because they're you know ungodly quick reflexes and accuracy and. Pretty soon, a lot of people start trying to play it, too, and it spreads. I, I'd say it's probably the, the most fun kind
1: of battle royale game I've played. And I'm not saying I've been enamored with it. i played maybe, like, 15 hours of it or so. Most of that was with groups and people who knew what they were doing in the game. So that really does, like, enhance your experience, obviously. But I think the part that I enjoy about it is that it at least mostly works. Whereas, you know, like a game like Daisy, the Armor 3 mods and everything, you know, they had a lot of issues with them. And those really got in the way of my enjoyment. And it this one does too. But it it just seems to work slightly better. It's the first one to really do something well. Like even the Culling, which was another game I played back when it first released and everything, it was it had a bit less to it and there was more game-breaking stuff going on. And again, there's tons in Play our unknowns as well but I just feel like it's got a little bit something extra to it and that's it just clicks with me a little bit more I'm still by no means incredibly enamored by it though
0: okay that's fair um, I see that's that, that is another thing you said there that I, I tend to have a problem with a lot of games is because I like it better because it works better. And that's that. That's something that well, always I mean, puzzles my that that puzzles me. It does. How many games do our do we suffer through that is com- that are completely broken messes? That actually having a game function correctly is a legitimate feature now. It seems like.
1: Yeah, and I mean, thankfully, most of the ones that don't work correctly are still in early access, so they have at least some sort of wall to you know, like for lack of a better term, hide behind. Um, but yeah, it is kind of sad, but that doesn't mean. It's just me saying, like as opposed to the other things I've played, I think this one just is a little bit more enjoyable because it's more like a real video game, and that is kind of sad, but it's not to discount the enjoyment that I can
0: get from it. Mm-hmm. that's right um uh, Sam, what about you? Any new or interesting games that you've been taking at or you just been working nose to the grindstone?
3: um it's not new, but it's new for me, and I played um GTA five a little bit yesterday and today. And um, that game is a technical masterpiece. It is, knowing what I know about, uh, like, open world, and, of course, our game's procedurally generated, so it's very different. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, it's sort of being procedurally generated. We can't do a lot of what things like GTA V do. Like, they bake in and pre-compute a lot of stuff that we just can't do. But, gosh, is it a masterpiece. I look at it, and I just think, this is... This is just such an incredible simulation. It's really, really great. And um I don't really know what's happening with the story or various other things. I don't even know what people like about GTA five anymore. But I know it's great. It's it's just so very well made. It's uh Rockstar may destroy their developers' lives, um and and otherwise make themselves a nuisance, but uh God, they make a really polished game. It's really it's really impressive.
0: Yeah, they really did. And that was uh that was one of those game few games in the world where I never actually played very much of it and I wish I did because what I saw there was really interesting. Uh the only drawback I had was the whole driving mechanic. Which I just mm-hmm. for some reason the driving is just you have to twitch to the left and the right 50,000 times and it drives me insane. <laughs> You never played GTA four. No, I did Ooh. not I did not
2: Oh you never played GTA four. Oh God. Would you like a bathtub with butter for wheels?
0: Oh
1: and then call it a motorcycle. Goody. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really glad yeah. I never
2: played it. <laughs> GTA four, like cause you know you're like, yeah, hey, I gotta turn really tight. No, GTA four is like, okay, let's turn. <laughs> That's really bad. Uh I like I like the driving in five a lot. I think the only better driving was in San Andreas.
0: Really? Okay.
2: Yeah. San Andreas, everything about San Andreas is like nailed down.
0: So I was sitting there thinking, I mean, like, maybe the... if I got myself a wheel it... <laughs> so I could actually drive it, maybe it would be better for me then. But I've... I've got one. It's great. Do you? Does it work well?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've used it for uh, American Truck Simulator. Love it.
0: Interesting. Maybe I will
2: pick. I also up. do the three wide monitors. Everything is so yeah, great.
0: I've uh, I've got three and three deep here. I'm, I'm almost thinking that I might have to double up and go six, three bottom, three top. Oh, I need just a fourth. To have enough real estate.
2: I've talked to the wife. I'm am going to get a. I'm gonna get a four monitor stand at one point.
1: Until like two weeks ago, I was getting by with one. After like three years of only having one, and I just got my second one.
0: How did and you I get, survive? Well, yeah. I mean
1: you you work with what you have and I think it made me a lot more intuitive in how I place all my windows and stuff because now I'm still not putting things on my second monitor. I'm still keeping that one blank for some reason subconsciously because it's not there yet in my brain. So I'm using it right now. I got the I got the stream going, but yeah, it's it's still it takes a lot of getting used to cuz I'm used to being so disadvantaged when I'm editing videos and stuff. I can't have it open and my files open on the other one. It's the worst thing ever.
0: Oh, see, it's awesome. I love having uh, Premiere open on on one monitor and um, Audacity open on another, and then having a third monitor for files and folders. It's great. You should try it. <laughs> Just get all the monitors. Money. I mean, I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> see,
1: I've only got so much desk space too. We have to start wall mounting them. Like a tower.
0: I actually had to get uh, two mounting, two different mounting arms. Thankfully, I've got a giant desk that's um, this designed to fit up in a corner across two walls. So I've got tons of real estate to work with. Can you
1: mount a monitor on top of a monitor? Uh Yeah. That sounds horribly dangerous and awesome.
2: No, that's the stand I'm going to get. It's three by one or three Mm -hmm. by one in the middle.
1: I'm going to do that. Get like a Roblox set.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know those
1: Bionicles? I mean, Bionicles were a big thing when I was a kid. So I'd be like getting like Lego bits and just putting them on the sides of the monitors. I don't know,
0: I forget what they were called though. The Toa? Yeah. Like a monitor Toa. It'll be perfect. See, I remember wanting to do that way back in the day with like uh, Mechware 4 and all that with multiple monitors because you could actually have different views set up on different monitors. So it's like, oh, if I get four monitors, then I could have my forward view, and then each of my two monitors on each side for the side views, and then I could have a rear view monitor. It'll be great.
1: <laughs> but those would be like those would have been CRTs back in the day. In the day, right? Yes. <laughs>
2: See, that <laughs> oh, would have killed God.
0: you. <laughs> would have been like three hundred pounds worth of monitors. <laughs> It would have been it's like awesome. you hear
1: you hear those stories of people that collect newspapers and they fall on them and they die. It'd be that, it'd be that, but with you know CRTs.
0: Yeah, that that's scary. I I remember I had one of those crazy deep ones too. The ones that were like eighteen, twenty inches deep that weighed like a hundred pounds. It was disgusting.
1: I had one set on fire once. Oh geez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like eight years old, I think. I was playing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Really great game. Well, not really, but it's good to me. I like it. And yeah, it caught fire. I didn't want to stop playing the game, though. (laughs) My parents were yelling at me, get away from the computer. Mom, I'm fighting the basilisk. I'll do it later. (laughs) So, you know
0: awesome well i did uh i have played a couple of new games this week uh first one I should say it's a new it's a new old game uh i did get- i did play i purchased again for probably the five billionth time and i started playing starcraft remastered, which is the original starcraft and starcraft brood war that they've brought up to speed with current graphics and they've added in a bunch of feature sets and it's it's a huge amount of fun for an old fart gamer like me to be able to go back to it was like i remember all of this and i remember how these units would glitch out when you did this and stuff and you could you could do this with it and it was really really crazy being able to go back to that and actually have it play on a widescreen monitor
1: Better finding too, <laughs> unfortunately not, from what I hear what's really that? so it did they keep not. the
2: pathfinding the same too because yeah well yeah. I
1: guess like they decided not to update the pathfinding or anything because really yeah, yeah but, oh. but they, there's a reason for this though there's like a legitimate reason, so because the pathfinding was so terrible in the first game in the original release, it became so it became part of like the eSport aspect of it in Korea yeah. and stuff. So if, if they, they edit anything about it, then they can totally change how the game's balanced. Okay, that makes sense. Because
2: that's the reason why they kept the whole um, unit system the same way it was, because they could have just done the StarCraft two way, which is really vastly superior. Yeah. But because I know the game's still big in South Korea. Yeah, it's and it's still massive.
1: the original. The South Korea, so they want to capitalize on that, right? Yeah. It's yeah. still massive. I can't
0: blame that was, them. That was the reason why, is because actually the esports scene in South Korea were... Um, were screaming for Blizzard to do this, and they finally decided to go ahead and do it. And there's even rumors going around that they're going to be remastering Warcraft three. They already have uh, a public test service for Warcraft three, and probably it sounds like also Diablo two will be getting remastered.
1: See, I'm interested in that because those games were always around when I was a kid, and I played them like a little bit, but usually at like friends' houses and stuff. So playing a remaster version would be really interesting to me because i want to experience them but when you go back and experience those games sometimes you know they feel very dated now especially in that time period specifically
0: yeah very well it's because a lot of people you know kind of take for granted a little bit uh, modern control schemes and everything like that is because they've been figured out and they've been refined over the course of 25 30 years whereas back then it was the wild west when it came to those games and so they you know they tried to figure out the best way to make it work and it wasn't always the optimal way to actually design your control schemes and so a lot of them just feel so clunky to deal with now
1: i think we're less patient with it too back in the day there were less games so it's like if you got a game that had a bad control scheme you still played it you still got used to that control scheme nowadays it's like if i really don't like a game after two hours like with, like with law breakers i just get out of here mm-hmm. i have 11 other codes i could try <laughs> yeah one a
2: click two a click in. three a click four mm-hmm. a click yeah oh my god
0: <laughs> yeah that's uh that's another thing too is the the glut of new games where yeah that's uh, that's that's gotta be hell for developers and sam might be able to help us out with this is you know if someone thinks your game is bad, they'll just move on. They won't bother to try and fight through it a lot of the time.
3: Uh yeah. That's why there's been an entire branch of game development designed around that. It's called user research. Um it's pretty much um it's you know, web design, it's kind of discussed as UX, the idea of like the user experience. Uh, it's kind of changed a little bit from that. It was that for a while in games, but now it's user research. And basically it's like a um a more systemic version of focus tests and um, play tests and that sort of thing. A lot of people think about focus tests in games industry and just think like, oh, you sit around a table and you go, oh, I like that character and I like that character. Um, you know, what's the best way to actively screw over our consumers? Uh, but in reality, it's, it's a little bit different to that. Um, and it's really just uh, sitting around watching someone play and trying to understand, okay, what do they understand? What do they not understand? What have we done a good job on, on what we have? And it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. It's one of the most, sort of more difficult things to do because unless you've got a huge network of friends or um, you're a very big business with a huge database, it's actually quite hard to find a lot of people to play your game. Plus, you're more interested in developing it. So you sit there, develop it all the time and then maybe, you know, a couple of months will go past before you've had a play test on something. Um, so it's really it's really interesting how much you do that. And it's all because of that. It's because really, A, people make very quick decisions these days, as you say, like you can, you can piss off after two hours. If a game has really mortally offended you, you'll probably negative review and refund it and off you go. Um, you then have um, many other players who haven't played games like all of us here have. So we have people that say, hey, hello, I'd like to buy your game. Uh, and we'd say, oh, that's, that's nice. You're emailing us to ask us that. That's an interesting question. Uh, well you have to buy the game through steam steam what's steam okay steam is a steam is a uh, how do you how do you describe steam steam is an online place where you go to buy video games um uh, uh okay so yeah you go you download it okay and what do i do then uh when you go in a store do you have a console um sir ma'am no uh okay yep uh are you running a mac okay uh right and so you'll have all of these discussions before you even get the person into the game. So you can imagine, right? If that person then gets into a game, how do, how do they play? Because they don't play like you and me, right? You have to teach them that the stick means go and the right stick means turn and look. They've never used a mouse before to play a video game. So um, user research is about trying to trying to find that balance between teaching and introducing and making something really fun all at the same time Um, making sure that there's enough depth and complexity in the systems in your games that people like you and me can enjoy the shit out of it. It's really tough. Sorry, long story short. (laughs) Yeah, when when you're developing
1: a game, how, like off the top of your head, I don't know if you can give like a full answer on this, like how, what do you think the percentage of the players are that you that you that would be kind of like what you described as opposed to people who are more traditionally involved with video games or playing more of them. Like what, is it 50-50? Is it more so one way
3: or the other? Depends entirely on your game. Hmm. So, and on your platform. So, for example, if you've got a console, talking about the Harry Potter games, right? You're expecting kids to probably play that. Um, I say probably because if it was the Lego Harry Potter games, uh, they're actually really great. Super good games so for everyone to play. Um, but, uh in terms of the proportion, you can't really know. I mean, I can tell you what rough proportions and demographics liked us on Facebook, right that mm-hmm. I can tell you I can look at you know the statistics inside our page. It's one thing that's sort of helpful, but um in terms of who's gonna play it, obviously we've come to retail as of uh, a couple of weeks ago, so that broadens that. That sort of player base really significantly. So um, Before it would have been mostly people who have played a video game before and now it's very likely that we'll have a significantly larger proportion of people who haven't played Which is why user research becomes so important Yeah, sorry can't give you an actual percentage. Yeah,
1: no, I, did, I didn't expect like oh This is like how many people who are turnip farmers and never played a video game. This is how many people, you know play player on the battlegrounds forever yeah, no, don't expect like specific numbers, but it's it's interesting to know just that when your game, when like the game goes to retail, how much that drastically affects everything instantly. So that does maybe even to an extent explain like further changes to games and everything as they go through development. You know?
3: Yeah, I mean that's exactly it. I mean, retail is a completely different environment and different world, um, and uh, the focus on making games super playable really began um began to be super prominent in the ps3 and uh the xbox 360 era um that was really it became really really noticeable how much more tutorials happened and that sort of thing um whereas before that it was really not jump in press all the buttons read the user manual yeah figure your nice shit manual. Have. yeah <laughs> yeah here
0: is the you... unabridged works of William Shakespeare. Make sure you read this cover to cover <laughs> before
3: you click start. Uh, you joke, but did you ever play Baldur's Gate or Baldur's Gate Two? You Those have to read are... these
0: manuals. The Baldur's Gate is actually on my top five games of all time. So mine, mine, mine too. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. But
3: man, that manual! Holy shit, there's a lot in. Of...
0: Oh, the manual yeah. plus the map plus the. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there was so much of those games. And there are a lot of those older games. Also, the the story of the game was contained within the manuals as well. Like, they would have a a chapter of a novel that was basically your introduction to the world and the characters and everything. And then now that you have that, here's how you play the game.
1: I have a question about that. So I didn't play the Baldur's Gate games until, like, a couple years ago. I got them on Steam, and... Did they edit that then? Because obviously you don't get a manual when you download it on Steam. Did they add like story elements and that type of stuff into the game?
0: There were some, but... no, the Baldur's Gate, that was one of the huge draws for those games mm-hmm. was the massive amount of story story yeah. content within them. Uh, they didn't really have to change that too much. Basically, the remasters they did of those games was mostly a graphical, a mm-hmm. minor graphical upgrade and adjusting the code to be able to, actually run on more modern systems without having to use like DOS box or something like that or some yeah. form of emulation um, and uh, yeah they fixed some things they actually went through and pathing was a huge issue in that game and they actually updated and fixed the pathing in it
1: <laughs> so you can do it there the Koreans aren't playing it
0: yeah What's well, hilarious. There is uh, Blizzard decided to go through and remaster StarCraft because the esports in South, in South Korea were clamoring for it, and they have these uh, uh, these businesses. I they, it starts with a P. I can't remember the full name, but it's basically like a, uh, a internet cafe, except there's rows and rows of computers, and you go in and you pay for a certain amount of time, and uh, and that's where so many people in South Korea play their games is in is in those businesses. Well Blizzard turned around and decided they were going to start charge those businesses specifically on a per seat basis. So Blizzard is going to be raking in massive amounts of money off of that out of They weren't already? They weren't already. Yeah, because before those places could get away with a single license and just load it up on all the machines. It's like, no, we're gonna we're gonna charge you a, a rate on these and it's going to be insane. So, <laughs> so that's a thing. Yeah, I was actually thinking about doing a story about that, but I'm I not sure I'd be able to get enough adequate information considering it's on the other side of the world, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, the other thing that I actually played was um, We Happy Few. I actually dived back into that a little bit and because I decided, you know, Sam was kind enough to give us a fair shake and come on the show here. I decided I, I, it would be inappropriate of me to not do the same and at least give his game a fair go. Even though you know, the the style of survival elements that you see in this game and a lot of other games is not really my forte. I decided to give at least give it a try, and so far I'm actually starting to reverse my position a little bit. At first, I just left it alone I realized I wouldn't be able to give it a fair shake and so I didn't even review it or anything like that but mm-hmm. it's actually it's it's becoming interesting to me it's starting to pull me in a little bit not completely I'm not going to start singing its praises from the rooftops but it's 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 not as uh it's not as rough as when I first saw it which that was you know the very first week of early access um so Sam may would you Maybe take a few moments to explain some of the changes that have been made there over the course of the early access and and what what people can expect to find within that game. Because I know um, you could do it a lot better than I
3: could at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose I can. I've um, lived and breathed this game for four years, so it's pretty much all there. Um so the main thing is um the main thing that we've done, and I guess there's two big things that we've done in the last year in terms of very broad categories. One is respond to user feedback and the other is build a lot of content. So um, I think probably the key things that people would be most interested in at this point um, is the removal of survival components for people if they don't want to use them. I'm trying to make that better. I'm arguing with the, or I've been arguing with our creative director for six months because I want to make it Um, a pure toggle, so you can turn the survival mechanics on and off depending on your difficulty setting. So if you want it to be super hard, but you don't want survival, or you want it to be super easy, but you want survival, which believe it or not, there are players out there who want that. um, Basically, you can do that. Um, So making survival optional, um, really introducing and doing a much better job of tutorializing the way the world works um, and improving the game systems, because... It's a, sort of a strange thing. I look back on it, and it, it seems so obvious in hindsight. But we built a, a, a fair amount of content, story content for the um, for the early access launch. But the systems that they were built on weren't great. So, you know, um, when you go into most games, right? You'll if you come across a story moment, you'll have a cutscene or something like that that sort of draws your attention towards it and mm. says, "Okay, hey, this is this is something you should look at." Oh, uh, we didn't bother to do that. Um, an early access launch, and so people would just see a dude. He'd start talking, and they'd be like, "Ah, oh, I'm I'm out of here." <laughs> so people are like, "Ah, oh, it's good. It's just survival game." And they're like, "Wow, shit, we've really made a mistake there." So basically, improving all of those systems, and um, we also completely revamped the AI. The vision that you're playing right now is sort of a redone AI, um, so that it's kind of reliable and isn't so crazy. Um, so it's been, it's been really big difference. Yeah. It's sorry. It's very hard to recap. Um, no, written, that's perfectly I've fine. written no, pages a, of patch notes.
0: Uh, it like, I'm, I'm sure, well, you commented on the video that I posted, so I'm sure you saw it. I, I I had stated that it felt like a very Bioshock-esque style art design. And, and that really pulled me in, but yeah, those initial survival elements really kind of pushed me away. It's interesting to see you don't see that very often where games developers will include something like that to where you can have a toggle well, I want survival elements on or off, or I want permadeath on or off or anything like that. And that's, I think what you were doing there from a critic standpoint is phenomenal. Being able to let people kind of tailor their experience a bit more towards what they want to get out of the game. And that's, that seems to be exceedingly rare in, in games to see that level of player agency in even such core components like that. So that's
3: that's really interesting to me. I've never told the story about why we did that. Uh, well, I mean, I've told the story about why we did it, but I've never really told about what the discussions were internally because um, the first time that we, we sort of did that was with Permadeath. So that was after the Kickstarter that we held. And we had a whole bunch of feedback and people said, listen, it's really cool, but I love the art style and I don't play hardcore games. So primitive for them meant that they could literally never get past the first 15 minutes of the game. And so we were presented with this sort of big shock and awareness that actually what we were trying to do was going was to be a disaster. Um, and so we really had to give people the option there and the thing is when we were talking about it we were just like well why don't we just make it optional um and again uh creative director and i had a had a, had a fairly long discussion about this for a long time uh, and in the end we decided well look we'll try it and if it doesn't if it doesn't work we'll just we will just figure out another solution but it worked really well um, and the same thing happened with the survival mechanics basically when we built the so okay so Here's a story about game developers and their babies. Basically, they get really excited about what they're building and they find it very, very hard to step away from that. It's why user research is actually so important, believe it or not, is because they're objective and they can sit there and say, hey, I know that you love it, but no one else does. So here's why. Um, and so with survival, particularly, we really needed that, um, that sort of feedback on early access to say, wow, okay, people really, really want to be able to just experience this the way that they want to do it. They don't want to run around with hunger and thirst. And so we looked very seriously at it, and I said, well, look, guys, why can't we just turn it off? And so I got the designer's response was, well, you're removing the core loop of the game. And I said, well, are we? I mean, the survival mechanics are there, but really the sort of the core things that people do in the game are the, you know, the stealth and the combat, and most importantly, the social conformity. And then we have a story layer on top and it really feels like that's quite a lot of game already. So um, in the end, we we went down the same path and said, you know what, we're going to give this a go. And so we came up with the whole play styles solution, which I think was uh, a good start, but not quite there yet. Um, So there you are. It's not like, uh, it's not like we came in with a grand vision to give people a lot of options. Um, We came in basically just wanting to do a good job and then, Realising you know what we can probably make these changes and see what happens. It's been surprisingly good,
0: yeah, I think uh, I think even just giving people the choice is is a very large it's actually a very large departure from what you see in most games, even uh, as most of the time people will see, well, this is the mechanic of the game, so you're either gonna you're either gonna deal with it or move on and play something else. I don't care. So it's it's really nice to see that that level of attention being paid to it. Um, that said, though, a lot of people, as again as everyone knows, a lot of people have been up in arms over the whole deal with Gearbox, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the the mainstreamification of the game that people have been seeing with bringing Gearbox on. Uh, yeah, I know that you wanted to discuss that specifically as to what as to what's actually going on there. And I know there's some misconceptions and probably some misconceptions and misperceptions that I had as well on that. Uh, so, so far you brought on Gearbox and that uh, I know we probably don't need to get into the whole exact reasons behind it. A lot of people have speculated that it was to, you know, finance the rest of the game, which I didn't even think that was true i figured it was probably to help you guys bring it to console um and along with that there seems to be a lot of caveats that were brought on like uh uh like the uh the price um the price matching across the board so the pre-orders could begin selling and Mm -hmm. uh and everything else involved with that uh you what what did you what specifically did you want to discuss in that regard
3: um, i'm not i don't necessarily think i was really here to talk about that okay. funnily enough i'm more interested in talking about um the reasons behind the various decisions we made okay because i see that there's such a big difference between what the gaming public understands and why the games industry does what they do so i can talk about all of it Um, i can run through and give you all the examples and, you know really cover all those points really, really briefly. And you can ask me whatever you want. It's really, if you want to do that.
0: Sure. Yeah.
3: So, um, where to start. So basically a year ago, um, after we'd launched early access and after we realized, okay, we're going to have to, we're going to have to really, I think do something to sort of address this desire for more story. Um, we got approached by Gearbox, and they said, "Hey, do you want to come down to um, do you want to come down to Texas?" And at this stage, we had no idea what they wanted to talk to us about. It was kind of weird. We actually thought maybe they wanted to buy us out at that point. Um, it's very strange, very strange thing. But Gearbox had just started up a studio in Quebec, which is near us in Montreal, and we thought, "Oh, maybe there's maybe they see something. There's some similarities between We Happy Few, art, and Borderlands, or something like that." Um, and we got down there and they put us in a room and they had their entire publishing team sort of sitting behind us in this weird little lecture theater thing. And we were on the table in the front sort of um, talking to Steve, uh, who's the head of their publishing, and to Randy, who the internet uh, loves very, very much. Um, and uh, they <laughs> said, hey, listen, we want to we publish your game. And we were like, you're a publisher? And <laughs> So this is sort of an awkward, awkward introduction discussion. Um, but we sat there, and they were they were just super enthusiastic, and they were really, really nice. So I think my first point is that the Gearbox that we know is very, very different to the Gearbox you guys know. Um, and I think that Randy and uh, the Gearbox team haven't done a very good job of explaining many of the things that they've done in the past, um, and that's on them. I can't be their PR team, so I'm not going to sit here and talk to you
0: about how great no, I, think I Gearbox even, is. I wouldn't even attempt anyway, so... <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, there's I mean, some things that I can say. Un- but, I'm unfair,
0: uh, but I'm not that unfair. So. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, well, there. All I'd say is that I think, I mean, there's some things that I wish they would talk about because they would clear up a lot of a lot of things. But unfortunately, I can't. I can't be the one to to tell everyone about that. Um, but since then, they've been, uh, they've been great. S- straightforward. They've been great. I mean, gearbox has published relatively few games um, they're a developer first and foremost right so they mm-hmm. developed um, a whole bunch of different games um, they have bought a couple of ips which is kind of strange and unusual like uh homeworld and they bought Duke nukem for example um and yet they're predominantly known for their development so like um they're really first known for the a couple of half-life things actually like counter-strike condition zero uh, then they went out and did the Halo Combat Evolved PC port, which was super good. Um, they've got a whole bunch of other stuff, but obviously Borderlands is the big one. Um, but they're published by Two K, so we were very surprised and we thought, okay, well, um, all right. I guess let's let's see what you have to say. Um, and what they said was, we want to be the best, the most developer friendly publisher on the on the planet. Um, which so far, uh, apart from the public's reaction to the announcement. Uh, so far, they've been great. They've been really, really good. So um, I'm not going to expect everybody to, to understand that, but you can ask questions later about what that means for us. But basically for us, Gearbox have been really, really cool. Um, they have been extremely open. They've been very honest with us about everything, um, including a few of the things that you guys know about, but don't know the full story about. Um, and by and large, they've been... Um, They've been cool to let us make our own decisions, so we haven't been pressured into anything that you guys have um, that you guys have been concerned about and instead really it's been they've explained why decisions get made and we're just like yep that yep that's that's a really good reason okay. and so what I what I you know what I kind of like to do is talk about those because that's that's interesting to me because we didn't know about a lot of it. And so we we told everyone. So we've told some stuff to people last week that basically has never been discussed publicly before. Um, yeah, sorry. Is that a... Perhaps I should stop talking for a minute because that's... Uh, no, that's you're fine.
0: Don't worry about it's it. <laughs> I tend to do the same thing. I start running yeah. off and before I know it, an hour has gone by and everyone's just sitting there going, yep. That's yep. every
1: day. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really fascinating. I'm actually really enjoying hearing it. So...
3: No yeah idea. okay, so I'll continue on where we are so um basically we we were talking about it, and we said, well, what we want to do is we want to build we want to build something something bigger, something that um basically people can say this is the game that I wanted when um when the e three video came out last year um with the introduction to the game now, we always intended to have story in the game, it was always going to hit that we were going to try and hit that quality level, but without reinvesting in the game and having a great partner to help and i'll explain why that's important in a minute um we didn't really think we could build a super big game on that front so maybe we'd have uh, a couple of small little levels or a couple of bits and pieces of moments like that throughout the game but it was pretty clear that people wanted a full game with all of this in it um and instead of something like um gosh, I don't even know what we were building back then. But instead of something like that, they wanted something like Bioshock. Um, So that was sort of a rude awakening because we knew that no matter what um, we did after that point, unless we scaled up, we were never going to, um, we were never really going to meet people's expectations. And that's really, really hard. Expectations are really tough in the video game industry. So um, we have firsthand experience of this because our first game contrast was, Uh, announced two weeks before the PlayStation 4 launched that we were replacing Drive Club, which was a AAA game, and we were seven people at the time, right? So we were replacing them as part of the um, PS Plus program. So we were going to be a free game on the launch of the PlayStation 4, which was fantastic for exposure, but at the same time, everybody was like, oh my God, this game must be amazing. And we're like, ah, well, it's a three-hour game about shadow platforming and... uh, an imaginary friend and there's seven of us right like we're doing our best but really this is a this is going to be something and of course expectations were were not met uh and you know we also launched pretty rough console launch was was tough honestly was tough um but we patched out the game for you know within two weeks and it was all it's all fine um, but we still never really met those expectations, and so we know we know what it means like when the public gets an idea of what a game is and how how good it should be um, you 're damned if you don't basically so that 's really that 's really why we decided to reinvest. what we did was we took took all of the money that we 've made in early access, so every every dollar basically uh, there 's a little bit that we kept aside. Um, but the vast majority of it, we reinvested back into the game and we also sourced private funding. So we way more than doubled the production budget. Now, here's the tricky thing about the games business. If you invest a ton of money into a game, uh, if you don't market it, you're not not—you're probably not going to make that money back. It's very, very risky. It's why when you have um, big games like, say, Assassin's Creed, 50% of the budget will be on development and 50% will be on marketing. Um, it's so that people know about it so that people buy it and fundamentally it's so that they make their money back Uh, because it's a huge risk um, when you're investing in our case north of 10 million dollars across the whole project now like it's very it's a very significant sum the kind of sums that i deal with now and i think i'm still concerned about spending 15 dollars on a beer you know, I feel like yeah. that's too much, <laughs> you know, and your your perception of money just goes out, out the window. It's absolutely bananas. Um, so you're talking about these sorts of sums and the reality is we knew that we, we knew that we just weren't going to be able to do that on our own. Um, at this point, we had two people involved in marketing of the game and that was me and uh, our community manager, who's been, long-suffering having to work with me for two years now. So um, so basically, we had the two of us. And you, you, once you're dealing with that kind of money, you just can't. It's irresponsible. You, can't, you need somebody who's a professional to do it. Um, so that's why when Gearbox came, it was, it was sort of the right time because we've been thinking about doing this. And they said, well, we're willing to help on the marketing front. Um, and they are investing uh, into the whole project as a whole, but they're not investing development funding. So they don't actually give us any money at any point. But they do help out with things like QA. Um, Their user research team is pretty interesting and pretty cool. Um, And then they help with the marketing and the various other things that need to be done, like submissions and ratings and localization and all that sort of thing. Uh, And in the end, we, we sort of came up with this deal, which we felt was very fair, very, very fair. We've seen a lot of deals, and this is very reasonable. Um, a lot of the time, publisher—I could talk for hours about publisher-developer relationships and how they work. But basically, if you guys come—if you come in as equals, it works really well. If you come in with one side having a significant uh, imbalance of power, um, in terms of you know you're just telling the other side what to do, it, it it doesn't work very well, and it leads to a bunch of problems. And the one thing I will say that's probably breaching all sorts of confidentiality is that. That's one of the reasons why Aliens Colonial Marines was a very difficult project. Uh, one publisher, five developers. Now I don't need to tell you that their gearbox was only one of those. I'm not going to tell you anything else, but just saying. Um, so you have to have this like really good meeting of minds and sorry, this a rubbish term. You've really got to have this balance in the partnership. Um, and so far that's what it's been. It's been really good. Um, And so the discussion became, okay, well, we think if you guys are this big, um, we think you're going to be able to go to retail. And so they said that to us and we thought, shit, we hadn't really considered that. But it makes sense because the game is going to be big. We're reinvesting. um, It is the most likely for us to make our money back. If we branch out to retail, that's not just going up to 60 bucks, right? That's a part of it. But it's also that the size of the market increases hugely um and it's a very big part like it's a huge number of players who are going to be interested in the game right people that like bioshock a lot of them play on retail and in the end try as we might for four goddamn years we're making we're basically making bioshock now which is really awful uh but um we're we don't we never tried to we really didn't (laughs) um and yeah i i, I so. could
0: t- i could tell from the the progression of the game that uh that was definitely a route that uh you weren't necessarily wanting to go down but you know it's uh to a lot of people i think that seemed like the natural conclusion is uh to go more that uh that story focused route like that um Hmm. with part of this though with uh with, with bringing on the publisher one of the largest complaints that i saw and one of the big things that i brought up and discussed was the the doubling of the price on steam the the raising mm-hmm. it from from 30 it's at, actually it's at 50 right now. it's discounted right now to 50 or
2: 51 no 51? that's the that's the retail price is 51
0: okay um yeah and it's, that... it's
3: discounted no you know well i'm Please see my air quotes. Yeah, um, It's discounted it's, in the sense that there are, there are, it would say 60 with 15% off right now, if we could, but we can't. Why, why so, is
2: that, if I may ask? That seems a little well, odd.
3: It is a little odd. Um, and basically, Valve has the opinion that, um, that it is illegal in certain parts of the market to increase the price and then immediately discount it at the same time. Now they're actually pretty fair, right? Because what they're trying to do is prevent the situation where, oh, the Steam sale's coming up. Oh, I'm gonna increase the price of my game from sixty bucks up to seventy bucks and discount it back down, discount it back down to sixty bucks for the time period of the sale. And then when it's over mysteriously, you go back to just a regular sixty dollar price, right? So that's what they're trying to combat with that, and it's pretty legitimate. Uh in our case it doesn't really work, but you know, you play the hand you're dealt. Um, but you you wanted to ask about the $60 price point, correct, uh, specifically, right?
0: Yeah, so that, was, that was implemented for price parity. Now, was I correct in assuming that was for the consoles uh, or specifically that that was a requirement uh, for price parity or or how does that work with that?
3: Basically, the way that works. So, yes, you are. Uh, yes, you are right. The prices do need to be consistent. Um they're basically the idea is that if you sell at disparate prices across different stores then it basically stores don't like that because it gives consumers reasons to buy elsewhere
1: mm-hmm.
3: now that's why you see typically a pretty consistent price across all stores whether it's um you know steam or good old games or the humble store um or origin or you play or whatever that's going and then you also see it in the retail you see it in amazon um, places like that now um, game companies and publishers don't control uh, discounts that's just not what well you can you do on steam and you can work with like first parties and that sort of thing but it's one of the one of the basic retail laws is that um, you cannot set you cannot set a specific discounts and you can't withhold discounting on retail stores main reason for that is when you buy basically the way retail works is that you buy in a ton of stuff right and then you've got to sell it off if you don't allow them to discount then if the game doesn't sell then they can't discount and can't get rid of their product so it's super pain in the ass and that applies across games t-shirts cds literally literally everything it's sort of a rule, a law of retail before video games are invented so that's the main reason Um, There have been examples where where people have got or done different things. So I think The Witcher, someone was telling me that The Witcher was different and they had different prices for PC and um, console. And that's the reason why it was different
0: not that i saw i do know that uh the switch was higher priced but that was because of the cost of the physical cartridges they're required a higher price because they have of course because nintendo they have special specialty cartridges that uh are an odd design an odd shape and they're made specifically for that device and so and an odd taste and an odd taste yeah they they apparently taste extremely bad so don't don't lick them <laughs> mm. um, so i do know that um, games as a general rule on the switch are more expensive because of that reason
3: yeah there's actually there's a ton of stuff like that that you guys don't know about and i can't tell you and i wish i could um some of those reasons relate to for example we could talk about the collector's box and why it's the price editors for various reasons There are things about that that I can't tell you today. Like I can tell you a lot of stuff, but I I can't tell you that. So there's a whole bunch of different things that have developed over the industry over 20 years that you just can't get around. Um, And certainly we can't. Maybe if we get to the sides of uh, Blizzard or 2K or um, somebody else, but even Gearbox can't argue that stuff.
0: Okay. Um, but speaking of the collector's edition, that was another point. That was another one of those sticking points. Was the fact of the the hundred and fifty dollar collector's edition bundle that did not come with a copy of the game. Hmm. Um. So, what was the reasoning behind that?
3: So, um, I'll start with the positive reasoning. Okay. So, what we wanted to do with the collector's box, um. I'm going to call it a collector's box because we don't call it a collector's edition. It's semantics, but it is a big difference because to me, a collector's edition includes the game. And Mm -hmm. if you don't have a game in it, you shouldn't call it a collector's edition. Now, we don't. Uh, Other uh, companies have. Um, That's fine. We'll get to that in a minute. But basically for us, what we wanted to do was uh, we wanted to sit down and create something that had a whole bunch of really cool things in it rather than have just one specific cool thing um so i'm willing to admit on that front maybe maybe i didn't get that right because it was me that made that decision it wasn't anyone else um basically i said look i think it's really i think it's really cool that we go for something that's um a collection of really nice things so mm. personally i think it's great um now in terms of why it doesn't include a um a copy of the game rather than the price point so let's ignore the price just for a minute okay because the price the price varies right you can include less stuff you can have just the mask in it for example and it'll be significantly cheaper than having all of the other stuff um, but if you include a copy of the game um, that's one of basically something happens that I can't tell you about so um, it's very specific um, and we're not the first to not include a copy of the game. Right? So um, the ones that we looked at, Injustice 2 has a collector's box that doesn't include a copy of the game. Uh, and Mass Effect Andromeda. But I actually think, I could be wrong, but I think you'll see a lot of a lot of companies doing this now because we're all fed up of this, basically, of this other rule that we can't talk about. So um, the reality is though. If we included a copy of the game, the price would go up, um, and it would go up more than you think it would go up. So it's not just a matter of adding the cost of the box in there. For example, mm-hmm. so the price itself, um, the price itself is as I said that that was kind of my call to say, hey, we should, we wanted to build something that had a lot of cool things in it. So the price of the box is 150 bucks. The total cost of building it is. Uh, We actually haven't nailed it down. So here's one of the things. Uh, You have to build in safety margins in case you can't build this stuff very well. But right now, it's between 80 and 90 bucks. So, sorry, I keep moving my chair. That probably sounds terrible. Um, So the cost of actually building that box and all of the stuff in there is 80 to 90 bucks. And then you've got shipping, which because it's fairly heavy, is between 10 and 20, depending on where you are in the world. And then you have your retailer cut because you still have to, sell it through somebody else what oh and then you have taxes sorry so in some Mm cases some countries that's up to 15 percent. although in the states that's usually significantly less and because most people buy in this in the states i wouldn't actually say it's a very significant percentage but you've got to kind of factor all this stuff in right once you do that if anybody out there is a calculator you'll see that there's actually not that much left over and you'll see that the vast majority of the cost of this is related to um, actually building the stuff itself. So that's where I'm saying, hey, maybe I got that wrong. Maybe, maybe we should have not been quite so ambitious. Maybe we should have built something that had just the mask, for example. Um, and maybe that was going to be, I, I don't actually know how much individually that one is.
0: Well, I don't necessarily see, that's, that's one thing that I know a lot of people will probably disagree with me on, is I don't necessarily see anything wrong with just having a loot bundle as it were which is what this collector's box essentially is it has all your has all your cool gear and all your all your shinies in it um, but the perception there that I see with a lot of games this one included is having it posted right along with um, the you know the standard and the deluxe editions of the game makes it feel makes it feel to gamers a lot like this is a being sold as a version of the game without a version of the game being included. Which yeah,
3: I think that's – sorry, go ahead.
0: Which, you know, also a lot of gamers tend to think, well, if I'm buying this super deluxe edition thing, why doesn't it have everything? Yeah, yeah.
1: and like let's look at – I think that's been a big thing in the last couple of years because if you look at a game, just to throw it out there like Battlefront or something, you know, Assassin's people are – yeah, well, people are paying for their entire game and then there's season passes and stuff. And in some of these games, in these cases, people are feeling like they're not getting the full product when they're paying for their collector's editions and stuff when they buy the game or pre-order it. So I feel like a lot of it is develop- is players just feeling like they have to be against everything now and not saying that they're wrong in some of these cases, but they they do feel like they have to be very wary against and call out everything if they're not if they don't have a way to purchase everything for what they perceive as like the like a good value cost for them so i, I think that there's a lot of mis, not not even misconceptions but just general feelings nowadays about it and it's a really tough line to tread
3: yeah i mean i think i think that's really fair on the point about listing the collector's box next to different editions of the game yeah i can understand that um we we agree and so we we actually um started work last week on redesigning our website so that that doesn't happen anymore um other studios and developers still do it but you know we're at least changing so maybe that'll mean that in the future people will notice this and say hey you know put it separately make sure it's super clearly marked and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and while we think it's uh You know, clearly marked already. You have the collector's box, and then underneath it says it's not included. But
0: it's to to be fair, it's actually a lot more clearly marked than I've seen any of the others from other development companies like uh, Assassin's Creed and some of the others that you know it's in an asterisk way down at the bottom. It's definitely a lot more prominent, and there's there's no real missing it there. So I don't think anyone would could even have any anything to hold a case for it being a uh uh, any form of deception or anything like that i don't think that's really the case i think it's more just if i'm buying this thing that's supposed to be everything why doesn't it have everything
3: yeah i think that's really totally fair the comment about like the the sort of emotional attachment i think applies to the the name collector's edition itself right um it's when you buy a collector's edition it's it's a copy of the game and it's got cool stuff around it it's mm-hmm. something that you can you can say hey this is this is you know I, this is something i really want and i want it to be awesome um and so we're changing the name as well so we're not going to call it that um we haven't got a name our writer came up with some some stuff that i think is kind of a bit weird but <laughs> we'll figure something out but i think that's a really good point and i think that is something that the industry could say hey yeah, yeah, you know, we agree. Like, instead of just saying, hey, like, for example, the the, the Mass Effect one sees "collect." I think it sees collectors. What does it say? I'm going to find I that
0: believe out. I, I can't even remember. That one was. Yeah, that was. That was a weird one.
1: I, I stayed very far away from edition. anything to do with collectors and Mass Effects.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it's interesting to us because, yeah, they call it the collector's edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got this nomad which is i guess what they called the marco and mass effect andromeda i don't know I never yeah played they
0: it. had two collector's um, editions one for a hundred and oh no they had three they had one for a hundred one for 160 one for 200
3: yeah so that's that's probably where you see the addition of the game price going mm-hmm. up and up and up that's just adding them in well, like no, that
0: but um that actually even the 200 hundred dollar one i believe did not include
3: a copy of the game yeah, game non included. Holy shit. Huh. Well, at least we're not BioWare. Yeah, and I mean. <laughs> you actually,
0: there's actually a lot more stuff in yours than BioWare. So that was basically just a giant nomad and I think an art book or something else. Uh, and that was about it.
3: Yeah, and I mean, it's the truth is, uh, I mean, I think it's important to just brand it as something different. So if you want to make a classic collector's edition, everybody knows what it is, people don't. Um, you know, we sh- you shouldn't change that sort of thing. So, I think that's a, that's a mistake, and you can fix that. Um,
0: Here's a question:
3: but the- Oh, yeah,
0: had you considered doing two different uh, um, collectors boxes? Like, have a collectors have like a gear box for the one hundred and fifty, and then maybe do a full collector's edition that included like a discounted price copy
3: of the game. We hadn't, um, and it's something we probably should consider. Um, so we, we, just did, we just didn't think about that. Um, the, the, again, the, the thing that I sort of can't talk about, and I'm, again, really sorry about that, it's to do with the bundling. So um, it basically it, it changes the economics of how it all works. So that breakdown that I gave you earlier mm-hmm. is no longer the case. It, it changes substantially. Again, because of things I can't really talk about, um, but I could see it. I could see it working with, um, say, one of the smaller things, and having a collector's a collector's edition that's just a standard collector's edition, so it wouldn't have all of the loot stuff. Basically, I could see that potentially happening, um, and I think if people were interested in that, um, you know, we could look at it. Um, it's one of those things that's a little bit, a little bit outside of my expertise, so. I was going to say earlier that one of the things that's really, really difficult to gauge is value really, really hard. And that's because people have very different opinions on what's, what's worth something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a large amount of disposable income value to you is vastly different to somebody that doesn't. Um, And, you know, we think about this with the price of the game as well, right? Somebody who is really just sort of making ends meet, but loves games and it's there. It's their passion. It's the thing that they do to get away from the world. They spend sixty dollars on something. That sixty bucks better be a great experience, because otherwise, you know, they're going to be like, "Well, fuck, I worked really hard for this, and it needs to be great." Um, and it still needs to be great for other people. It's just it doesn't. It's not as important. It's not as crucial. If that makes if that makes sense. Um, so presenting value, it 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 links completely to how many of these things you might sell right so if we have to manufacture all of these things we don't i i don't even know how that works honestly um and that's where gearbox would come in i'd have to talk to them and say hey what what about a collector's edition but like why don't we look at it um maybe with the um either the mask or the alarm clock because i think those are the two things that are most uh unique to the world um but yeah, I, I don't know. I have to ask them because that's kind of a – once you get into manufacturing, man, that's a whole other world. I I, I don't understand it at all. Okay,
0: that's, that's totally fine. Totally fair. Um, another thing I know a lot of people – I've actually been seeing a lot of people floating questions in chat because um, Gearbox – gearbox's reputation themselves as a company as a whole especially Randy Pitchford in particular the reputation isn't exactly what you would call the most sterling over the past few years ha <laughs> and, Pitchford Okay guys if I may <laughs> and uh because of that I think that was probably a lot of uh probably a lot of where the frustration that you see from the ga- from the gaming community come in is because uh you guys signing with gearbox as publishers kind of sounds a lot like doing a deal with the devil in a lot of ways and (laughs) well okay yeah chat's gonna go nuts for a few minutes because somebody somebody brought up jim so (laughs) um so what uh now did you approach gearbox or did gearbox approach you initially they approached us okay and uh what was some of the reasoning behind that like what was the intent with bringing on gearbox as a publisher was this to help get the game to console or was this to help with the marketing aspect
3: or uh console was relevant but it's probably more important to think of it in the nature of retail rather than uh console so if we didn't go to retail i don't know that we necessarily would have made the same steps that we did Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's about retail. Retail changes everything. Console, largely console and PC digitally are, are fairly similar. So, um, in fact, we're already on the Xbox game preview program digitally. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively, relatively similar, but the main reasoning was this, that, yeah, we needed a partner, right place, right time. And we've spoken to and dealt with a lot of publishers over the years, um, you know our ceo has been an independent for 20 years um and we also um we're probably one of the more experienced independent teams in terms of the business side than um anyone else sort of in the montreal area so we spend a lot of time talking to people about their experiences um, and we share as much information as we can about this because you know publishers and developers uh, it, it all depends on the strength of your communication, whether it's going to go well or not. Because truth is, most people are actually pretty pretty reasonable. Most people are nice. Most people aren't dickheads. It's really easy to think when you read the internet that you know we're a race of terrible people. But truth is, oh, species, sorry, species of terrible human beings. But the truth is, we're, we're vastly great, actually. We're really good people. The vast majority of people are really, really nice. But even two people who really like each other can um, have an awful relationship because they just don't communicate properly. Um, and that, that sort of thing exists between developers and publishers all the time. And you end up with, you can end up with like a publisher that cancels a project, for example. Uh, mm. And that will really hurt the developer. And that was something that happened for a very long time. That was part of the um, the sort of the market before Steam reinvigorated the like independent scene with um, digital downloads and that sort of thing. It was all about having a publisher because that's where the money came from. Publisher or die. And that, meant, that led to those imbalances that I spoke about earlier. You know, I have a lot of situations. Every developer alive at the time, including Randy, went through that experience where a publisher, yeah, probably put them in a really shit position. Because uh, it's really hard. And especially as you get bigger as a studio, it, it, it's very, very difficult. If you've got 50 people under your uh, in your team, right? That's a really significant amount of money that costs every year. Like count up, count up 50 people, right? Think about the salary that you would be comfortable with. Now multiply that by 50 bucks, 50 people. And you've got a huge, huge amount of money you need every year just to keep going. Right. So what happens if a publisher drops that funding. Um, and that happened for a very long time and it led to sort of this publisher developer um, relationship which was really, really difficult, parasitic. And it leads to many of the consumer issues that they have today about publishers. Now, the thing is it's changed a little bit because there's more freedom for developers now. So um, there are more different types of publishers out there. So there are standard publishers. So um, UB's fairly standard. Warner's fairly standard, uh, Activision. Uh, they're sort of the big, big, big names you guys have heard. They still operate roughly the same way. Um, you also have smaller people like Devolver. You have um, is it Paradox, I think, um, is mm-hmm. one of the other ones yep. that's super, super popular. And so you've got a range. Exactly. And then you've got these other people that come in and, and uh, try different things, and Gearbox is one of them. So I can't really talk too much about it, but the way that they try to operate is to be extremely pro-developer, and so far they have been. And it's been open and honest, and honestly, uh, it, it's not all been perfect. You know, any relationship when you're working with two different companies, you know, you come on board, but we have shared Slack channels now. We talk pretty much all day, every day, and it's the highest level of communication I think anyone uh, has ever seen in the montreal industry anyway so it's going really well it's why it's why it's it's so strange for me to see everybody hating gearbooks because while i understand the history and the perception of things um they've been really great to us and behaved really well so it's really it's very complicated it's always
0: complicated I that, that's uh, i think that's a large crux of it there that i think you might act accidentally hit on with why so many people are have a concern is because you you've you know you're speaking from the point from the standpoint of a developer and you've made a point to state that they've been very pro developer and that's their intent Um, the difficulty is the perception behind gearbox is that while they may be pro developer because they need the developers they have been notoriously anti-consumer over the past few years in a lot of their actions. And I think it's that standpoint and that perception that's raised so many concerns here. And to seeing, you know, it's there. I know there's a lot of reasons behind a lot of these actions that we've seen, but taken as a gigantic whole, it paints a picture that makes people very uncomfortable. And we um, the We
2: Happy Few collector's box not having the game in it is an exact example of that.
1: And it might not even... Like not to say that it might it might might not be ext- entirely warranted, but yeah, this, it's
2: just on the smaller end. Yeah,
1: yeah. But well, I'm just talking like the perception. Like when something like that happens, it's it's the instant perception from people because it takes a long time for um, a company that's done things that people don't agree with in the past to have their opinions turn around on that. You know, it's not it's not going to be just like okay, this developer said they're really good. Well, you, yeah, that's one against five in some people's minds, right? I mean, you can. You, I mean, to Gearbox's credit, to an, to an extent, we've seen some slightly better things. I mean, they ended their partnership with, say, G2A earlier in the year, and then hearing this, you know, it sounds like maybe they're getting on track. But for a lot of people, it, it, take, it takes time to have people convinced, right? And I think that's a totally reasonable reaction to think like that. Maybe not to obviously lambast people on the internet for no reason, but.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, also because along with that, gamers as a community, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to see the gaming community because there we are by far and away the most unforgiving group of people you could ever meet in many instances. And it's also, you know, that along with everything else is also one of those things where any businessman or anyone dealing with anything as far as public relations is concerned for decades and decades knows good word of mouth. One other person might hear it, you know, one bad experience, 50 people hear it. And so, you know, bad news spreads like wildfire. While there's so much good news that it would take to counteract that. Um, but at the same time, yeah, just, you know, I know I, am seeing a lot of these reasons here, but, you know, this as a package, it feels it feels very much to the gamers like, well, uh, Compulsion came out with they got these these brand new shiny AAA publishers, and along with it, they got a AAA price and season pass and uh, collector's edition and all these other things and pre-orders and pre-order bonuses that we see with every AAA game under the sun, and I think that's why a lot of the gamers are upset is because of that AAAification. aification. There's no real term for it. To where, you know, Compulsion, everyone wanted Compulsion to be the darling of the indie scene coming out with this fantastic look- looking and playing game and them not going the AAA route. And I think it's because of that perception and that hope that that's where a lot of this negativity has come from.
3: Well, I think... Uh-oh.
0: Uh-oh. There's a ton bro- of different I But I mean okay, th- the first thing oh. I'd
3: say is that the gearbox publishing people are different Sorry, sorry, sorry. So um basically uh so many <laughs> how do you, how to recap a year of discussion. Um but yeah. basically the gearbox publishing people are different to the gearbox software people. So they're entirely separate team. Um so that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have any, you know, any different opinion because of the association with the gearbox brand, that's totally fine. But you know, you've always got to keep in mind that the way that people operate is always different, always changes. Um, so all I can say is that the gearbox publishing guys have been, have been great. Um, in terms of the gaming community and that sort of thing. Yeah, we, we are a very opinionated and strong willed bunch and that's, that's really great. Um, in many ways, you know, I, I think the gaming community is actually extremely positive. Uh, extremely positive. The thing is, though, the loudest voices are often the negative ones, as you say. Mm-hmm. So we want to talk about Gearbox. I don't want to be their PR team, but I will for a little bit. Um, just just for a bit of an academic analysis, right? So everybody hates Gearbox, right? No, obviously, literally everyone. Gearbox. Obviously, it's the it's the totality <laughs> of all of human existence hates Gearbox. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a split personality hate because you have people that are like, oh, my God, aliens, colonial marines, you guys shat all over us. Um, one of the six people involved there. Okay. One of the six different parties. And Gearbox was sued by Sega and Sega lost. Probably wasn't really them, was it? But I can't tell you much more about it. That's fine, I'm not Gearbox. But it's the split personality because everybody seems to focus on everything they do and partly that's because Randy's Randy, right? He's he's this out there, enthusiastic, sort of bit of a madman, really. Um, and he's he's very polarizing. But I'll get pissed off about that, about Duke Nukem, although Duke Nukem's a weird one because everybody's pissed off that Gearbox didn't do a good enough job and yet the only reason Duke Nukem forever... Is actually released was because the gearbox after ten years of development hell. I mean, I I don't think that was a good call on their part to to go and release that stuff. It's a big complicated thing. So you've got those two. You've got the Borderlands two season pass thing where they had season pass and they had the um, DLC come up afterwards, which wasn't part of the season pass. Right? That was a big thing that people didn't like. I'm right on that, right? Mm-hmm. So that side. I'll just sidebar on that. The reason why season pass exists as a word is is not because people like it. It's because there just had to be something and season pass was to the name that stuck. So that's what retailers are trained to upsell. It's what people are trained to talk about. That's why you don't get expansions in store, really. They're all digital and it's still called DLC. So that's just a bit of a side point. Anyway, so you've got all of those things and yet Borderlands 2 is arguably one of the most popular games of the last five years and the hype for you know a sequel to that is still ridiculously strong so there's the split personality everybody sort of hates them and yet we're all going to buy borderlands let's not let's not beat around the bush there right we are going to buy it. And so, for me, no. I find it... <laughs> okay, maybe you won't.
1: I but love dude... to hate Borderlands.
3: But... Uh, I don't want another menu
2: sorting simulator. Thank you. I'm fine. Uh, maybe, <laughs> but... Proven you know,
3: wrong. It's... I spent more time in the menu than I did shooting things. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Maybe it wasn't for you. But my point is that it's a super popular game, and mm-hmm. the reality is Gearbox is a super popular company. It's just also super not popular. And it's very confusing and strange to us, because... While we knew people were a little bit pissed off, we didn't realize quite to the extent how pissed off people would get. And certainly the run on the reviews of the game putting us, God, are we probably at 40% right now or something, which is um, always a bit disappointing after you release an update and work on a game for that to happen. And everybody's taking it out on us, but the reality is you're 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 just hurting us with that stuff. You're not hurting Gearbox. It doesn't make any difference to them. They rise and fall on Borderlands, you know? Now that doesn't mean that, you know, if you don't like the game, don't like what we're doing, that's fine. You gotta gotta use the tools available to you. But I don't know. It seems it seems a little bit out of proportion to me. I mean, we have been, as far as I'm aware, the blog post that Nyla and I wrote. You know, I don't think anyone's ever been that honest with you guys about what happens in retail, with what happens in development. And, no, absolutely. You know we're here not, talking about not it. Not even close. <laughs> so that idea that we're anti-consumer, I'm sitting there going, oh, I don't know. We we kind of do everything we can not to be. So
0: it just uh, all of these things that uh, we see with every AAA game under the sun. It feels uh, again, it's it's perceptual, but it feels like nickel and diming is where a lot of that frustration comes from. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it's it's a good game. And a lot of people probably would be perfectly fine paying $30 or $60 for it. And I don't think anyone would really argue that point or beleaguer that, but it's adding on everything else. uh, Just like, you know, it just basically everything that you would expect to see from every AAA game under the sun minus microtransactions is what we're seeing happen here. And a lot of people are concerned that Gearbox might be taking over, or making those decisions, and people feel like they're trying to get bilked for extra money.
3: Well, I mean, see, this is, I think, one of the, probably the most interesting disconnect between the way the industry thinks and the way that consumers think, because consumers think that's a way to, you know, take more money out of people, and that's that's true. I mean that's true, obviously it is right i mean it's 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 a way to make more money, but from our perspective it's no one's ever doing it to try and trick people out of money right so what do you do if you if you're a video game right and you've got um you've got a price point for retail that's been consistent for fifteen years now now let's not worry about arguing whether it should or should not it it roughly is consistent right so in other parts of the industry like the mobile industry they give people options about what they want to do what they want to spend now i don't like uh, a large part of the way the mobile industry works i don't like the focus on whales and that sort of thing i think it's i think that's more morally abhorrent but um that's me oh no but i would really actually all,
0: 100% agree with you on that
3: <laughs> and i mean look i've dude i've been to i've been to microtransaction seminars that just uh, it's not nice. But I think there's a very big difference between that and something like season pass or expansion content. You're talking about XCOM 2, right? Is an expansion nickel and diming? I mean, well, I like XCOM 2. The,
0: the nickel and diming aspect. The, with the season passes, it's not so much about the nickel and diming. It's more the expecting someone to pay money for content sight unseen. Uh, It's like people expecting people to pay money for a promissory note of content to come later that may or may not be worth the value of the season pass that you're purchasing. And we've seen, we have seen that with games in the past where season passes were not worth the DLC content that were released for them, not by a long shot. And uh, so you have three packages of DLC planned at some point down the road in the future Mm. from what I gathered from the site and so you know a lot of gamers will typically value a lot of gamers will typically value a game and even DLC at a rough estimate of a dollar per hour of gameplay. And so that's really hard for people to really hard to justify the cost expenditure there of 20 dollars for three packages when no one knows what it will entail.
3: Okay I mean i I think that estimate is a little high, um, to be frank. Um You look at something like the last of us was fifteen hours long. some people personally I was a twenty two hour um well, again, not
0: everyone is going to hold that, but you know the most conservative estimates and that I have seen a lot of gamers implement they're not they're not the majority but they're significant enough percentage to to be concerned about
3: yeah, and I mean ultimately it doesn't really matter, right? What matters is that a person will have that will have that sort of um value value and like It's really complicated because some people don't think about um, that. They don't think about the dollar per hour spent in the game. Uh, I personally do. And so um, there's a my CEO and I, we argue pretty frequently on this because I'm the guy that says, no, like the game's got to be bigger than this if you want to do this. And he's like, no, no, it could be smaller. Um, You know, he's been in the industry 20 years, I've been around five. The team members that we have are all very experienced. It, it's it's hard for anyone to know, but the point is right. I think that's fair, right? I think it's absolutely fair. If it if it's not worth it to you, don't don't buy it. That's the that's the simplest thing that I can say in these. But cases.
2: how will they know if it's worth it to them? If they're, if they're promised something, if they're sold something before they the knowledge of what is there is available.
3: Well, then don't buy it either. I mean, I, I totally agree with it. that point. Yeah, don't don't pre-order it. I mean, I I'm not sitting here to say to anybody you should go ahead and pre-order, right? I'm I'm you know. So only buy the, the
2: season pass after everything's released. Yeah. Uh,
3: well, yeah. You're really worried I'm...
1: about the content you're getting. I All right. Kind
3: of... And I mean, for me, I I'll give you I'll give you two examples, right? So for me, I bought the um the Civilization Six Deluxe Edition, um, and I bought it because I thought. You know what? I love Civ so much. I I guarantee you that I'll play this game again in a year when it's all out there. And I'll enjoy it and I'll play the different packs and it'll be fine. Um and I didn't do that on The Witcher. Yeah, so I pre-ordered Civ 6 Deluxe Edition, but The Witcher 3, I bought it 50% off because I wasn't sure I'd like it and I didn't buy the DLC. And it's my favorite game. Right. I think The Witcher 3 is a is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. I wish that one day I'll create something that approaches how awesome that game is. But the point is people make their own calls on that. And if people want to wait and aren't sure about it, they should wait. I think that's got to be the position from the industry. And there are some people that will go out there and say, you know, go buy now. It's the best deal. Great. Let's, let's go sales and marketing on you. But we don't do that. We just try to provide people opportunity. And I will also say that if... We didn't have retail in the pipeline. We probably wouldn't be pre-ordering season passes right now or having them available for, um, for retail pre-order. The reason why it's there is that season passes exist for retail. right? They exist for retail. I mentioned before that they're called season passes because that's what retail is trained to deal with. They're also there because that's the only way that DLC really sells at retail. When your game is on the shelf, you've got these options of, hey, do you want the deluxe edition? Do you not? Once once that goes away, you're just left with the game. So if you release DLC nine months later, you can't put a DLC box on the store because the game's not on the shelf anymore. So that's why season passes exist. It's basically a way to say, okay, do you want the extra content that's coming? If you don't, that's cool Buy the normal version. Why not sell think- season
2: passes af- after the fact all the content's released
3: then, though? Uh, because, again, then you'll have to... Well, the, the way that works with retailers is that you release what's a, called a Game of the Year edition, right? Um, that's how that actually works in practice. Um, but That's of not course, a that season means, pass, though. No, but you can't really sell just a season pass on the shelf, right? Shelf space is extremely limited.
2: So then it's expected for the people to buy the season pass before the content is out?
3: Yeah, and it's done for... a. It's, it's terrible, it's because though.
2: It's oh, terrible, is it like? it's, it's and that's not very friendly to the consumer no because they're putting
3: money in a product that doesn't exist yet well some would say that about pre-ordering anything in general yeah some would say that about kickstarter some would say about early access no not know. early
2: access because a product does exist that you can buy
3: okay right. early, well, with access. early
0: access you're you're buying into an incomplete product uh, the, the no thing is, of release? yeah, the major concern a lot of people have with with season passes is that there is no, there's no knowledge of the content that you're going to be purchasing that you're purchasing for now. There's no, there's no, there's no concept of what is this going to look like when it, when it's finished and the DLC is released. There's no
2: Kickstarter does have that early access does have all of that.
1: <laughs> I, one one of the things with season passes in DLC too and this is a concern that I have about them. I think this is my personal biggest concern is that when games are being developed, and again I'll go back to Battlefront. It's my whipping boy today I think people are very concerned in part that when they're buying a game, some of that stuff may have been withheld. Whereas, you know, in the past, early two thousands, before way before that, it wasn't. So it's like some what do we know for sure that this content was made after the entire vision yeah. of the game was created or are we paying extra money just for what the full version of the game is supposed to be a year later and i think that's a really big concern that people are getting a bit ramped up over nowadays because of again not not that i just dis- not that i despise battlefront but again it's the thing that i'm I that's just popping in my head today
0: <laughs> um no you're talking about the concept of day one dlc and on disc dlc like uh yeah but has done that in the past and then they had we had the uh uh the mass effect character that that was uh actually a little bit of a misperception there and and that was on the part of ea is why that was but um but yeah that that concept i think that's Foremost in people's minds when they think of season passes and DLC is the whole concept of day one DLC and content that was designed and finished before the game launched being
3: charged for later? So I can actually answer some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, again, this is something that's a combination of myth, uh, and if you want to be uh, more insulting than I probably should be, conspiracy theory. Um, And A misunderstanding of the way game development works so it's a combination of those two things so it's pretty pretty commonly stated around the internet that that developers and publishers will will cut content out sort of cynically at the last moment to sell um in a store and that's 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 a myth as far as i'm aware it Uh, looks very apparent that way it looks
2: really easily
3: done that way a lot of times
0: well there have been instances where it's been shown that Capcom had done that with uh, characters and portions of some of their fighting games where those characters were actually on the disc. And uh, what the, a lot of that was, was, that, I guess it would say half the content was on the disc. It wasn't actually finished, and they finished it off and unlocked it later, and a portion of the content was on the disc. That was, I actually have to agree with Sam a little bit, that was a little bit of a misperception In some areas but there are still a lot of concepts of day one dlc and because of those extremely poor communications and handling of content like that by ea and capcom and activision and two others that we've seen examples of that happen with in the past it has given birth and given rise to that this aspect of day one dlc yeah a lot of times people will say, "Well, you know if it 's cosmetic that 's fine, which you know I actually agree with because we understand that you 're putting polishes and finish bug fixing and stuff long after the majority of the assets for the game are actually designed, and more often than not most people won 't won 't won 't have any issue with extra you know non game altering d l c packages at the game 's release but it 's the idea of yeah, and a lot of it is perception, but still it's the idea of a slice of the game being pulled out to be sold at a later date or locked behind an additional paywall.
1: It can even be stuff like publishers, like people feel like publishers meddle with it. Like, oh, Gear Gearbox is going to meddle with We Happy Few and we're going to see loot crates pop up for
0: it or something, too. <laughs> I mean... You or about like in the last couple of weeks i mean or shadow in of some war, right? instances a, an entire difficulty level being locked behind a paywall yeah. stuff Nintendo.
1: like yeah. stuff like that
0: so and again let's look at shadow
1: of war recently so was there's, there's people that are convinced that the loop crate system for that game wasn't added until the entire game was done and it's like okay no we have to add in these extra systems or in reverse you could they could be told to take away a system It might not be the case. It could be the case, though. But there's no clear answer. And people, even if the developers say that, like I think Monolith did say, like this has been, this is not like a reason the game was delayed or anything. There is still that perception. You have to somehow convince people, and it's it is a very gray area because you're never going to be entirely sure.
2: That allegedly did happen with Deus Ex, though.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why people should be concerned about it. And that's why people are concerned about it to saying like you never you don't know 100 from either side but it but that in itself is a reason to be concerned mm-hmm.
3: so with the um day one dlc i mean i i can totally understand it and personally i agree with the frustrations there um and i, and I get it you know it makes sense and i think there are people in uh the bigger studios who will make arguments why that would be fine and why that would be not and i'll leave that to them because it's not what we do but um, I will say that the idea that that stuff just gets cut, I've, I've never heard of an example of that actually happening in the industry. We have people that work for UB, for Warner, uh, for developers for 20 years, right? It's not, if it happens, it. I'm not going to say that it's definitely, there's definitely more to the story there, but, you know, I don't know. I, I think day one DLC is a bit of an exception, but I think people use that same argument about cup content to talk about other stuff. And that's probably mm. not that fair. Um, so the other thing is that if you then look at, if you did look at games, I don't think the industry as a whole really generally, whether it's on the industry or the gamer side really sort of does a good job of understanding what do you do if you want to make, or you want to buy more content about a game, right? So if you have a free to play game like Dota, right, it keeps updating keep selling cosmetics there are people that have invested far more far more than the cost of a season pass far more than say the season pass plus the game plus the collector's box that doesn't include the game or or whatever you want right and they do that just fine and yet for some reason we have a problem with that um when it comes to more traditional games let's say and i think you guys have raised a number of like really good points where sorry keeps like Goddamn leather chair it's just squeaking um it's it's terrible it's terribly uncomfortable too i put it in oh, anyway um <laughs> so basically what happens if you want to make more content because that's really that's something i wanted to talk about with with the season pass specifically but um what if you want to keep investing more in it right what do you do um and we don't really have good models for that except like the uh the paradox strategy games and the dlc that comes out that keeps adding more and more and more stuff to the game right uh people expect free content and while i think free content's really great it only certain games keep selling well enough for that to be viable most need a revenue stream um it's why we're doing a season pass fundamentally is so that we can have something to do once we finish this game rather than you know put our entire development team on a new project we want to keep building um yeah, gosh, can't remember where I was going with that, but 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 we're here now, so that's where we've landed. So we're we're we're
0: circling back to season passes and uh, the the concerns people have and why it's included, and uh, why people generally don't like them because they don't feel, you know, they don't feel it is a very consumer friendly practice um, to have a sale item where it is you know purchasing content sight unseen.
2: Which I do have a fault. Follow- I have a question. Um, uh, do you feel you said you bought the Civ Six season pass? Do you feel as though the content in it was worth it?
3: Um, I don't even know what half of it is. I logged on and I had some random, random terrible civilizations awful. to play. And they're was like, bad. Okay. They're bad. I bought two of them and they're just bad. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't particularly it's not worth find them enthusiastic. Oh, maybe, but at the same time, for me, I don't. I'm not, I'm not personally concerned.
2: I would right? like to have those characters in, in my game, but I can't see spending $5 a piece for them, much less buying the season pass. I don't think you can even buy the season pass separately for that game. Uh, I'm not sure. Which, in, if that's the case, then if you have to buy the season pass, at, if, if they do it like that, you have to buy the season pass before anything even comes out, before you even own the game, that's terribly anti-consumer.
3: I didn't. I didn't know what was going to come out for XCOM 2 either, but I still bought the season pass for that too. Um, Doesn't make it consumer-friendly though. Maybe not, but I don't know. I think, I think as far as it goes, we talk about consumer-friendly a lot, but in the end, often it's because you don't really know. So for example, I can tell you what the rough goal of what we want to do is, right? I can tell you what the, the three topics of the season pass is. But one of the reasons why we don't talk about it is because if we reveal it now, it's much harder to market it and sell it later. Um, Now, you know, maybe that's something that could change. Maybe people could talk a little bit more about what it means. Um, You know, I think that's a fair question. Um, But at the same time, I I don't know. I think the right answer with all of this is to say, well, okay, I'm not going to buy it personally. And to encourage people, hey, I think we should learn more about what season passes actually contain. Because I think that makes sense. I think that's a that's a good point. Do you think if um if the industry said more about what's in season passes, they'd be more? Oh, sorry, the the, the gamers generally, if they knew more about what was in a season pass, do you think it would be more more comfortable to people? Absolutely. I
2: think I would be. Yeah. I would definitely be because I'm I'm looking at the Steam page right now. You cannot buy the Civ Six season pass separately.
3: Mm-hmm. There w- are some. I would
1: love to have like a a game plan when games come out being like, and I know when you're doing DLC, if you release your full game, then you decide to do DLC, you could scrap that DLC even, you know, things happen in game development and stuff, but having, I, it would just blatantly be consumer friendly to just have a list of general things like, Hey, here's what we want to do to expand on the experience. Now, this is what you can expect that might change if you, and if that happens, that can cause a bit of uproar as well. And I think overall it's, it is better for consumers. So let me ask you another in, question like
0: even if you were to add in some rough estimate details, I think it would make it a lot more palatable for gamers, like estimated seven to fifteen hours gameplay you know so x number of new characters you know x number of you know two to five new areas you know aster big asterisk you know numbers subject to change based on development you know that way people would at least have some form of idea what about what they're paying for.
3: And to so an even, even if it's a
0: rough guess, it would be better than nothing. And if you leave it a range, then you wouldn't have people coming back. Well, you promised this much. And was like, no, it was a range, and it was subject to change. You know, you,
3: you'll get you'll get. But that. at the same time, you'll so inevitably get those information. The
0: more stuff. information that can be provided to your customers, the more the more their minds will be put at ease. And I think the more a reason they'll so- feel purchasing
3: that.
1: There is a reason that to my people opinion. get so defensive over everything, right? And I think part of it is that we're so used to not being told things. So when you are told things, and then you gamers will, the consumers will nitpick everything. But if, it, if it became an industry standard, I think it would happen less because people will become accustomed to seeing, like, okay, this is probably what I'm going to get. I might get like two or three less hours or something could happen, but it's good to at least know. But I think there are people inherently distrust even when people are being honest right now and i think that's a global problem with the entire industry rather than like just a like wbea whatever publisher or developer
0: yeah, but also because of that level of distrust if you make if you make mm-hmm. those uh if you take steps like those and then you come out and follow through with them you end up looking like a god in the industry mm-hmm. <laughs> cuz i hate to say it you know at the end of the day honesty is a very high commodity right now and consumer trust is a very high commodity
3: as well so what would i what would you say though if um a developer didn't make enough money from the season passes to to actually fund the development of the season pass
0: well don't make the season pass well also you have to that's why i would say That's why I would say you know you start off with a range. You have a base range of okay, we plan on making these three packages. What's the absolute minimum base? Like depend you have you have an income scale where the more the more you get, the more you're able you're able to flash out your DLC. Obviously, but you know also hmm. you can't. It, it's like making a game yourself. You can't rely on you know. It, that would be akin to, well, pay me for the game before I make it. You know, that's where a lot of the season pass stuff comes in where you can't necessarily gauge how many people will want to buy the DLC by itself until it's made. Whereas unless you have people that have that blind trust or simply don't care, it's like, yeah, I, I enjoyed the base game. I'll throw 20 bucks at it. Whatever I get is fine. Whatever, you know, you will always have those people that lack that concern, but you know if you if you always rely on factors and numbers of guaranteed sales before something is made then that makes your job a lot harder and it makes the relationship between yourself and your customers a lot less stable
3: yeah i mean that's that's fair and in, in practice that's how it works so you plan for like a well, let, let's say you plan for this much and then if the game sells really, really well, um, you can maybe deliver that. If it doesn't sell well, you still deliver this. I had a um, question.
2: What did you say to me right after, right after I made my comment?
3: Oh, I said, hey, just settle down. We're not, we're not like, this is, this is a happy discussion. I'm just trying to talk. I was being serious. Uh, okay, man. Um, you know what, if it man? costs too much to make the thing, don't make the thing. Well, okay, yeah, but it's very, very hard to then. You you may not even be able to refund people if you do that. There are practical problems. Don't sell the thing. Okay, well, you're arguing with an entire industry of people here, mate. You're not arguing with me. I'm trying to explain to you why things are. I was arguing with you. No, but this isn't. So your
0: concern concern here is, Dandruff, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your concern here is that, you know, if. If you are concerned that uh, you won't get enough money to be able to sell the thing, then then why even go through producing it to begin with? Why yeah, attempt? Yeah, there's to plenty of games that are for
2: it. There's plenty of games that are profitable right now without season passes. they they do just fine.
3: Well, I will tell you what, we will never agree on this point. You're I'm very okay with hardened. That. You're very hardened against the season pass. It is a very standard. I don't industry. think you know me. Well, I'm just going off what you're saying here, and I'm not not saying or assuming anything. It's just you're you're very clearly against the the concept as a whole. And that's uh, fine. Entirely, that's, that's fine, and I don't think I bought season passes before. I, owned, I bought all season passes for Rainbow Six Siege. Was happy with them. Okay, so I mean, I think that's really the core of the point, though, isn't it? If developers do a good job and create good season pass content, people are happy. If they don't, then people are unhappy. It's kind of very similar to making a game at that point.
2: I also knew what I was getting in that season pass before I bought it. Everything I was getting in that season pass before I bought it.
3: Okay. Well, I mean, it's something we can look at.
0: Okay, that's fair. Remember, I did. I do want to just keep this an open discussion. You know, I I don't want to turn in, this into a you know a combat or anything like that.
2: I wasn't trying to be. I was just, I okay. Just was trying to vocalize my
0: opinion. No, that, you're perfectly fine. That's um. So, let's see, was there, is there anything else here that we need to clarify on that or go over? Um, Dandruff, do you have any other questions? Or I
2: do. Uh, how Sam, how do you feel about the uh, current state of the player base of We Happy Few?
3: The player base? Yeah. I think they're fairly little, nice bunch of people. Okay. You mean the total numbers of, are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I'm talking uh, about
2: quantity. I'm talking about quantity. I'm not talking about quality. I'm talking about quantity. Because I don't think you okay, necessarily sorry. care about the uh, the caliber of person that you're selling games to. You just want to sell them the game and have them play it, of course.
3: Well, actually, man, we've spent two years really growing and maintaining and trying to build a really positive community, and we've actually managed to do that for the most part on Steam, on Kickstarter, okay. on our forums. I'm not.
2: I'm not arguing Are you asking that you know? about.
3: Are you asking about concurrent players or are you asking yes, about I'm total Yes, I'm asking about if...
2: concurrent player counts as well as versus the total number of games sold because I'm, I'm seeing numbers that just don't quite make sense because let me ask you, you don't have to give me specific numbers, of course. I wouldn't be asking that. Has this game sold 100,000 copies or has it sold a couple thousand copies?
3: Well, um, all I'll say is that you can look on Steam Spy. Steam Spy numbers are actually pretty accurate.
2: Okay, well, then that's, then that's really dis- disheartening. Because okay. for having sold over 100,000 copies, the, play, the peak player p- count for this game is only just, it's just over 2,200.
3: I don't think I really worry too much about that right now, man. The biggest thing for... <laughs> I see your face is interesting. The biggest thing for us is that this game and what people want is really a narrative-generated experience, right? They want something new. They want the story that's coming on 1.0. So, look, if the game's going to do well on 1.0, we'd make a great story. I don't think we really care about active player bases basically. Yeah, We're still be, in early access.
0: To be fair, from 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 my standpoint is, yeah, it's it's not an online multiplayer style game or even a multiplayer game. And for a a a story driven game where the vast majority of the story isn't there yet, I wouldn't expect the concurrent player base to be all that high. You know, the
2: majority of the story isn't in the game yet, is what you're saying. I yeah. haven't played We Happy Few. I would like to. It's a little bit expensive. It's gotten even more expensive now, and I don't think I'll be able to afford it. So I don't think I'll ever get to play it.
3: Well, you can just send me an email, man. I mean, I don't. I don't know you, man. <laughs> well, you can ask Sid. He knows you. He knows I, know, me. I know. I don't really know. know Sid
2: either. I really don't know Sid either. I know a Paddy Jack more than you know. I would consider myself a well, we Paddy Jack. We do
3: Hopefully. provide keys to, to to YouTubers and streamers and that sort of thing. So you can you can just send us an email. You'll have to verify, like click through, to make sure that your YouTube account's linked and that sort of thing. But you can go ahead and do that. I'd say for you specifically. Maybe give us a bit to wait until we've got the, the 1.0 product. I enjoy
2: early access games. I quite enjoy I don't look at it as though you're paying for an unfinished product. I have a little bit of, of a different view just for myself that I'm paying for the
3: experience to see the game evolve. I like that. Well, I mean, personally, me too. And we've we've posted development updates weekly for two years on steam so you can check them out you definitely Um, have
2: you've been very the the uh, been very communicative with your community with your community about what's going on and stuff with updates i i don't i don't have any problem with that you've been like as an early access developer that's what you want to do
3: well i hope so we we try really hard and it's i know i know things can get very tense when you talk about business and terms and and what's good for people and everything right there but Mm -hmm. fundamentally we just we really love our game we love the players that have been playing it. We love the people that tell us stories and we just want to make the best thing we can. And it's, you know, business is hard. You know, the reality is <laughs> the reality is we want, we want to be able to keep doing this. So we need to sell copies of things. I mean, season passes, I get it sucks, but what a season pass will do is fund our development for a year. All right, They'll allow us to build those things and make some really cool stuff. And it's not for everyone. We're not going to tell anyone to buy it if they don't want to and that sort of thing. But we try to do everything right. It's really hard. You know, it's it, it's impossible to know what will upset people at any given given point in time, right? Hey, and um, as
2: YouTubers, I think all three of us could agree with that.
3: Yeah,
0: it yeah, happens. We, but... we, we deal with the masses as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, like we, I yeah. have no idea what I'm doing with this. I don't know how I've amassed as many subs as I've gotten. Really?
3: Well, I think it's I think if you just are honest and it doesn't and open about things, I think it goes a long way, right? I agree. Um and that's what we that's what we try to do, even if we don't always succeed. Uh we do we do our best. Yeah.
0: So I know we're running like well over our pa- our our time frame here by al- almost forty minutes now. <laughs> but uh did anyone else have anything that uh, they wanted to discuss while we had Sam and he's still uh Still willing to, to sit there in that psychotically uncomfortable chair. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I, um, I, I have one question, and I'm only asking this because I think that this is a question that a lot of people just want to frankly know, and I, I don't necessarily expect like a, like a, an an amazing answer or that you can even talk about all of this stuff right now. So, the game has jumped from thirty dollars to sixty dollars. So. If someone buy someone who bought the thirty dollar game versus so like what what about it makes the game worth sixty dollars as opposed to thirty, not including the retail stuff? Just because I know there are people in the chats, in the comments that are wondering about that, and I think it is a really important thing to talk about.
3: Okay, do you mean specifically compared to what it would have been without the deal? What sort of Um, scope
0: increase are we looking at? Let's go with that.
3: Okay. So in terms of what's in there right now in the game, um, there's roughly—it's it's really hard to measure content um, in a procedurally generated world um, in any other way than the number of quests. Right, so that's that's sort of the baseline. So I'm, I'm the I'm the guy on the team that looks at those sorts of numbers. So right now in the early access, we have what are called encounters. There are about ninety of them. Okay, so those range from something that's really simple like there's a chest that spawns in the middle of the world and it's got witchcraft stuff all over the place and a little note you can go back there every time um every day or so to get new stuff out of that chest that's an encounter uh but likewise so is the um so is that intro so that five minute scripted story moment so that's five minutes that's also an encounter so it ranges um and i've got different sizes for all of them but there's about 90 of them right now now in terms of the full game uh we had around about 320 planned. now uh i'm looking at where we are and i think maybe we'll get to we'll get to 250 that's looking pretty solid right now um Development's really tricky, so sometimes you know you want to do a better job on one thing, so it gets bigger, and a couple of other things don't get made as a result. But I'd say basically, in terms of comparable content between um, between now and the sixty dollars version, it's about two and a half times bigger. Now, I'd like I'd like to give an updated answer on that in um, November because mm. that's when I'll actually know for sure.
1: Yeah, no problem. I was just wondering because I, I know it is something that is on people's mind because that, that's the first thing when people hear like, "Oh, this game was thirty dollars. Now it's sixty. Okay, what makes it sixty dollars? Right? That is that's like that's got to be at least one of the biggest concerns with most people when they hear that, especially if they were interested in the game and they didn't buy it yet. So it's good to hear at least anything about it, right? Just to
3: get it addressed at all. Yeah, and that's that's to the current version. So we also updated it during this time. So. Okay. Um, in terms of the version, you could buy it thirty bucks. That was seventy five, I think. It's, I think seventy five because the uh, the number of encounters we added with the last update was smaller because they were a lot bigger. So mm-hmm. yeah, okay.
0: And also, I know one other concern that people have had was the the potential prospect of scope creep. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I I don't think. I know a lot of people have seen have expressed concern about this regard seeing games in in the past with you know runaway Kickstarter rewards and things like that. Um, is there any potential of the increase in scope harming the overall development of the game or extending it pat- to a time frame where it might be unfeasible for you?
3: Um, no, I think the risk is that we won't be able to build quite as much as we want to. I'll okay. being brutally honest about that right that's that's the nature of development um one of the things we're thinking is um you know well honestly it's a bit premature because we don't exactly know right now it's uh but as far as i'm aware no it should be fine we've been able to estimate our rough um progress over the past year because we've been developing the story in the background so we have a pretty good understanding at this point of Uh, what we need to build and we don't have very much time before we have to have that content finished. We're talking around two and a bit months at this point. So we've been building a lot of this in the background. Yeah. I mean, really not much time at all. (laughs) No, which is why I'm working, why we're working so many hours right now, but uh, it's, uh, I mean, compared to most things like this deal has been in the works for a year. We've been building up to this for a very long time. So, um, the the a lot of the hard work has been done for the last two months of content work and then we've got um gosh, three and a bit months to bug fix before we manufacture and then we could have time after that for a day one patch if we if we need it. Hopefully we won't. Hopefully we'll be able to pivot over to creating cool DLC at that point, which I am excited about, believe it or not. Um and it's trust me when I say you will you will see that there is no possible way that that was uh, cut out from the game. You'll 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 have to trust me on that, but you will see. So, yeah, that's uh that's where we're at.
0: Okay. Well, if we don't have anything else, means we're almost forty five minutes over. Uh, let's uh, go through and do some outros. Uh, Sam, do you want to give any specific shout outs or speci- special special call outs to your game or yourself or any of your team, anything like that? Um, where can people go to find specific updates for your game
3: anything of that nature um i'd say just check in on the steam announcements or on our website the only thing i'd ask is hey remember that we're people too we're not uh, an evil mega corporate that is out there trying to ruin your childhoods um we really just want to make cool games so please if you do come and visit please be if you want to disagree with us i hope i've proven tonight Disagree away, but be nice about it, you know? And that goes to all other developers out there. Be nice to people when you're talking to them. All
0: right. So, uh, uh, Dandruff, who are you? Where can people find you? Tell us I all have, the things.
2: I have run a variety of video game news show. You can find me over at youtube.com forward slash cartridge, twitch.tv forward slash dandruff underscore L-U-V-S underscore U-Y-O-U. Um, twitter at news cartridge uh yeah i just i do a daily gaming news show i like to think uh it i have fun with it do a little vlog at the end of the day yeah <laughs> i don't know what else to say all
0: right <laughs> i am patty jack uh, you're gonna be moving soon so you might be down for a little bit but where can people find you
1: yeah so in roughly a week i'll probably be able to start up videos again and stuff but if you want to go and see my stuff in the meantime. You can go to youtube.com slash I am Patty jack or check out my Twitter, at I am Patty jack. It's IamPattyJack everywhere, so that should be pretty easy for you to find. On my channel, I do a variety of stuff. I cover terrible games a lot of the time, like really awful ones. I look through Steam in the trenches, find the worst thing ever. I call every game I don't like the worst game ever. So, if I ever do that, if a developer's watching, don't worry. Your game is the worst game ever, along with every other worst game ever, so... <laughs> It lessens the blow a bit. <laughs> and then I do like whatever the hell else I want, what I feel like that day. So yeah, we'll take a look maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. And Sam, you're getting a, a huge amount of thank yous in the chat right now. Uh there's not very many developers that would be willing to come out and, and so openly discuss things. So we really do appreciate it. So thank you for coming on. I know it was, especially beans. It was relatively short notice, uh, it is very much appreciated. And
3: it's my pleasure. Do you think they want to know what the whiskey is? I can, I can go grab it. I have a collection.
0: I want to know the whiskey. Right, give me two
3: seconds. Okay.
0: Yo, I love whiskey. It's great. It's a good time. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this. I got um. I'm like... Taking
2: bets, it's Double Dragon Two. Oh wait, or oh, <laughs> oh, the best whiskey. I thought you said we okay. I'm sorry. I didn't oh. hear right at all. <laughs>
0: I couldn't really
1: read it. His, I can't really read it. Your webcam's a little blurry. Yeah, your. Oh, sorry. Yeah,
3: it's crap, isn't it? My parents <laughs> keep complaining about it. Um, oh. no, it's a uh, Glen Diveron, So Oh, oh that's ah. nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I like there that one. Go. I've been having this like Jameson's Caskmates. It's like made in like beer barrels. It's really nice. Oh. It's like coffee. It's wonderful. Nice. That's yeah. dangerous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh,
2: it is. Am I the only vodka guy here?
0: Uh, yes oh fuck
2: fuck all right
0: vodka yeah i I, i'm not a fan of potato juice i'm sorry
2: (laughs) i don't even think it's potato juice i think it's
0: wheat juice oh boy (laughs) (laughs) so yes ladies and gentlemen i am set alpha and i have a fly that's attempting to dive bomb me multiple times i'm going to have to hunt it down and take care of that here uh this if anyone came in late to the podcast or or want to watch this or listen to this later this will be uploaded to the YouTube channel as well as the SoundCloud and in the meantime even though we haven't had a podcast for quite a while I did go around and get things lined up on iTunes and Google Play Music for people who want to listen to it on the go so you can just do a look or do a search for Sid Alpha on there and you will be fi- be able to find the podcast those will be uploaded most likely tomorrow So, again, thanks for watching, everyone. Thank you especially to Sam and Dandruff for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. I am Patty Jack, as always, a pleasure. And even though this is uh, the worst podcast ever, probably, we'll probably see a video about that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so this has been the Procedurally Opinionated Podcast. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and I will see you next time.